Hello and welcome to the back page of Video Games Podcast. I'm Samuel Roberts and I'm joined today by Matthew Castle. Hello. How's it going, Matthew, over there in your part of Bath? Uh, it's it's good. It's very snowy. Um, or it was when I looked out the window. I opened my curtains this morning and the world had gone full HDR. I was like, ah, the blinding. Um <laughs> I preferred it last gen when everything was dull. <laughs> well, that's a good segue into uh, this podcast, which is about the best games of the generation. Unfortunately, it also sandbagged an anecdote I was going to tell you about HDR, where I don't understand HDR. So whatever I did to my TV made The Simpsons not yellow. And I thought, <laughs> I must not understand how this works, because The, the Simpsons are kind of a, a yellowish shade of white. Um <laughs> So that's my opening uh, gambit for this podcast, Matthew. I don't know how that makes you feel. Uh, but, you know, I'd, I'd be keen to see that. Interested to see that. You know, I, I don't know if it changes the dynamic of the show at all. <laughs> it does a little bit. Um, eventually, I just turned it off and uh, thought I'll get an adult in before I mess with this again. So this podcast, Matthew, uh, two parts episode. We're going to talk about our thirty best games of the generation. Their personal lists. We're going to alternate, as in the uh, classic style that we've um, liberated from many other podcasts that have done yep. the same thing and uh, it's going to be fun um, there's not going to be so much in the way of industry commentary because i don't know about you but i felt like we covered that fairly extensively in our first episode about ps5 versus xbox series x do you think yeah. we uh, kind of did that we did the whole who won this generation side of things already or do you think yeah. there's anything else to add I, I, well i feel like as we go through the list it will probably paint a particular picture anyway mm. Um, that that was the interesting thing when I was putting together my list. I was looking at it and thinking, oh, actually, you know, I kind of had a better feel for what this generation was about by the end of it. Mm. Um, so hopefully other people will feel the same way. Yeah, I have like one top line observation I wanted to mention. And that is, I do wonder if the whole kind of like um, very heralded PS4 exclusives thing is a little bit overblown. Yeah. When you kind of put it down on paper, there are definitely like fewer than 10 of those games that are like these um, cinematic, character-driven, best-selling, like um, big exclusives that have kind of largely credited with winning Sony the generation. Yeah. Um, and when you actually put it side by side with Microsoft, I was thinking about Microsoft. They, they had a lot of 8 out of 10s this generation. Um, <laughs> but collectively, they don't seem to amount to the same, at least in the kind of public consciousness of what Sony's big games uh, have. So your Quantum Break, your... Uh, Sunset Overdrive, you know, you've got obviously the Forza games, which are definitely kind of nine, nine out of ten kind of games. Um, yeah. But uh, what do you make of that? Yeah, I, I, I got the same sort of vibe. I was looking at Xbox and thinking, you know what, if they'd been doing Game Pass from the start of this generation, I think people would look more kindly on this collection of games. Mm. Um, I think for the hardened fan, there wasn't as much to like rub in the face of PlayStation people, but there was a pretty constant flow of, like you say, eight out of tens, occasional nine out of tens. I think Sony did deliver a couple of like absolute ten out of tens, which I don't think Xbox did. But at the same time, you then quietly have Nintendo, who's I'd put Nintendo's ten best games up against Sony's ten best games easily. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I just think that the narrative also uh, the, the narrative around PlayStation kind of really snowballed and sort of solidified really quickly, and that it was just like a done deal that they kind of won, you know, the exclusives game. Actually, when I was putting together my list, I found so many of them to be quite similar, or what I thought about them quite similar. I dumped quite a lot of them from my list. Um, mm. I don't, you know, the, they had a formula and they kind of 
kept doing it again and again. Like a lot of their games are very, very similar. Like what they were doing in the single player, like narrative space, there was an awful lot of repetition. I don't think it was, it wasn't like there was some wild imagination factory by any means. They were just making incredibly expensive, polished versions of the same thing. Um, but that seemed to be enough. Yeah, um, coming up uh, in um, a few episodes' time, we're going to do the best games of 2007, like a follow-up to our 2006 episode. And I really think that Sony took Uncharted, that first Uncharted game, basically altered the course of like all Sony exclusives that would be made from then on. Like This cinematic, character-driven, more realistic style of game, that was where Sony, I think, figured out this is what resonates with people. And now they make lots of very similar types of games, like you say. That's not yeah. to say there's no merit to them. There's like uh, this. I would say of that format of game, there's one of those on my list. Um, but oh, okay. um, yeah, without spoiling anything. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's an interesting uh, discussion to have. So, Matthew, you and I both covered this generation from a magazine perspective a little bit you much more so than me and um i was wondering what you uh when you were kind of making this list did you reflect on anything uh from your time editing you know nintendo and xbox mags was there anything that sort of came to mind as you were revisiting these games um when i was looking at the nintendo stuff it was more just a nostalgia rush for that kind of um the sort of dying days of nintendo mags because this is the you know this is the generation, the Wii U generation, that sees the the end of both Nintendo Gamer and official Nintendo. So I was, uh, you know, a lot of the games I have more of an emotional reaction to because I connect it with the people I was working with at the time. The challenges that we talked about on the cover um, issue, you know, of just trying to stretch the same five games out over and over again. But then when I was looking at those five games, I was thinking, wow, they were absolute killers there were some killers on wii u and even though we we sort of drove them into the ground and they drove us insane um having to cover so little so often they were brilliant and and they hadn't diminished in my head but making the list was like a pleasant reminder of actually how how good wii u could be xbox in terms of my xbox years it was a bit of a weird period because i feel like xbox kind of got the generation sort of back on track a little bit more basically after just after i stopped doing official xbox so hmm. you know my my years on official xbox were basically in the first couple of years of xbox one where it was a little bit quantum break which was fine but it isn't on my list spoiler alert um <laughs> and uh so there was a bit more like sort of stress covering that but again like some games from that period have made my list like you know I don't know, I think I have the distance from that general period now, which for me was a swirl of like the end of my personal print career. But but there was some good stuff in there, sort of in that kind of giant deathly vortex. <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah. like a ship going down in a huge typhoon, but like some some treasures wash up on shore month years later. That's kind of the <laughs> that's kind of the, the metaphor I'm going for. Oh, it's uh, very rich, and I feel very deeply emotionally moved by it. But um, I would say that there is a big perception difference with Sony and Microsoft, as I sort of hinted at there earlier, where I think people were just very up for whatever Sony was making. And um, I don't think people were as up for what Microsoft was making. So there's a little bit of a quantum break uh, reclamation movement on Twitter, I've noticed, and people <laughs> quite like the game. But yeah. That those those first couple of years, the years I was on official Xbox magazine, I think we were still dealing with the fallout of 
their messed up vision for the generation, which was that all their games were going to be these interesting kind of cross-media projects with like TV shows and there was going to be a Halo TV show and all this stuff and Quantum Break was a big victim of that. The other one was everything had to have a games of service angle, which obviously saw Fable become Fable Legends, which obviously saw the death of Lionhead. So, you know, my time covering this was spent with a lot of really good studios getting closed and it, it felt like Microsoft were in quite a bad place, but... Then, you know, a year later, after I left the mag, they were suddenly into, you know, we're at E3, we've bought eight studios, we're going to buy eight more kind of vibes. So the Xbox story became a lot more exciting towards the tail end of the generation. And I don't think we'll, like, really see the sort of the, the, the fruits of those labours until this generation. Yeah. Um, but it, it became a better place, I think. Yeah, I think so. What I was kind of getting at there as well is that when I'd see, you know, Horizon get announced, for example, people were just so up for it. Um, and anything yeah. that Sony put out there, people were just massively up for them. And that's not to say that the games didn't necessarily deserve it. But I feel like no matter what Microsoft put out, they just didn't get that response. And I think it's just a massive, massive perception battle that they have been fighting yeah. with. Backwards compatibility with Game Pass. And um, yeah, I suppose what I'm saying is it's not entirely their fault. I mean, it is their fault, but it's like the old Microsoft's fault somewhat. Um, yeah. Whereas like the new class is definitely doing its best to uh, reverse course, or at least it seems like they are. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. so, so Matthew, uh, without getting too fu- too much further into the punditry there, what were the trends of this generation that you noticed as you were making your list? Um, it reinforced that there were very few new franchises that I cared for. And a lot of stuff I liked was stuff which was invented the generation before. And it it just reminded me of, of what a fertile period that was for, for, for new ideas. And some of them got carried forward very nicely and, and have made the list. Um, it was a weird time where, like, really vital or key figures from the previous generation just vanished. You know, the, the kind of the madness that in that whole generation we had one game from Rocksteady, for example... You know, mm. we had no games from Ken Levine, you know, that, you know, to follow the the, the Bioshock trilogy with no games, I mean, is, is kind of, I don't know, that, that seems slightly mad to me. Um, so I kind of felt a bit sort of sad for, you know, stuff like that. It didn't, it didn't feel like, um, I don't know, you just sense the, the amount of extra work that was going into games was just slowing down the whole process a lot. And you really, really felt that. Yeah, for sure. So... Something um, I noted here, which is a very obvious point that people make all the time, but the death of that middle game, which is, you know, I, for example, I picked out Spec Ops The Line here as a sort of PS3, Xbox 360 era uh, sort of oddity. This, um, you know, it was like this Heart of Darkness Apocalypse Now game set in Dubai. It was a third person shooter. It lasted about eight hours, had a terrible multiplayer, apparently. And it just sort of like, I don't think it was a success, really. But it was, you know, not the same size as an Assassin's Creed 2, for example. So there was definitely a kind of, you know, a level of game that existed there that I don't think is completely gone. But I think there's only one of those on my list that I would categorize as that. So... Yeah, I think that is something that happened. Definitely, um, definitely. Like it's almost like it's it's like the death of the plucky seven out of ten. Yeah, and like there's may, arguably a kind of um, an indie uh, sort of like I don't know quotient that sort of fulfills that. But I'm mm. talking about your sort of THQ level games, you know, your Saints Row sort of style. Uh, <laughs> yeah, games. yeah. In fact, there were no new Saints Row games this generation either. That's another one of like you know, I thought that was a good series, a solid series. I thought they would uh, mm. 
be a continuation but hey the other thing i noted here is that it was the true rise of free-to-play games on consoles that wasn't really a thing at the end of the last generation Mm -hmm. um or at least it was very minor now obviously um you can kind of make anything free to play and it'd be good we've seen you know uh, respawn making apex legends felt like a big moment to me of you know this is a, a true sort of triple a studio that's um you know has made a couple of titanfall games and now it's decided this is the best course of action it's been enormously successful and also you can have more unusual types of genre go free to play and have them become a success so genshin impact is a single player game and and so is um path of exile or at least you know they're primarily played by yourself so yeah it's kind of weird it's like this is the generation where retail triple a games included like some free-to-play elements and people hated them and then free-to-play games kind of went down the triple-a quality route and people loved them and uh, something i've never quite been able to like marry you know the, the enthusiasm which people have thrown themselves into things which are like openly designed to kind of you know squeeze money from your wallet where these other games if they added these systems on top of the initial price it was just like death you know like the the outcry the the bad name that like ea for example developed off the back of things like star wars battlefront 2 and fifa and all this stuff you know it's it's quite a weird sort of you think there'd be more crossover on the venn diagram of people who liked both those things but it just didn't ever seem to sort of manifest yeah i think it's because the audiences that find them are quite different so people who feel like they're in a sort of safe space i guess with um you know 50 60 pound games don't like mm. the idea of these different genres and i imagine that's a difference uh, in audience breakdown or at least the people who were kind of um, aggrieved by it were just particularly loud on the internet which is another yeah. part of it um also they did have a point in some cases i think battlefront 2 is a really depressing example of um how you can bake uh loot boxes into the design of the game i mean it's still a it's still fundamental to that game even though you don't pay for them it's a you know getting stuff and opening shit that's part of that game um Mm. but then it's part of so many games um it's part of apex legends as well and i wouldn't say it's egregious there so yeah it's a a complicated thing and Mm. yeah you're right the reaction to them does seem very different anything else um this generation that you Um, just that the the kind of the the big genre inspiration seemed to be the souls like there were so many games which had elements of dark souls or there were you know from software games themselves um which obviously grew in popularity and critical acclaim um i felt like not in maybe as uh widespread as last generation where like everything became a cover shooter after gears of war for a bit um (laughs) but similar var you know a, a genre which was like big enough to kind of really punch through and influence a lot of other designs you found a lot of people there were a lot of things which you could use you know souls likes as a shorthand and then people would go mental because you know (laughs) everyone hates you likening anything crap to dark souls um but yeah that was that was like a mini trend um which you know you, you normally get a few of and i guess like you know the 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 spread of kind of games as services are part of that as well i guess a reaction to destiny early on in the generation but yeah i think a little bit of um similar type of loop to uh dark souls is survival games where you die lose all your stuff and then oh yeah roguelikes kind of um you know filtered into the the conversation a little bit more you know yeah Mm. 
And uh, yeah, for better or worse, I would say. But um, yes, uh, anything else, Matthew? Before we get into the uh, the no, list? I'm I'm, I'm kind of jonesing to get into my list and annoy everyone with my irritating choices. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm going to irritate everyone with the criteria alone. Like um, I don't know, I don't know if if I was listening to this podcast and I heard our criteria, I might just lose my temper and like you know throw my phone out the window or something. So uh, we'll see how it goes. But um, yes, we're going to take a short break. Probably about 10 seconds with a little bit of video games music. And then we'll come back with the uh, bottom 15 of our top 30 games of the generation. So stick around. So, Matthew, with the generation, it can be a bit arbitrary in terms of, um, you know, deciding what counts as this generation or that generation. And it's been complicated, I would say, by Nintendo primarily in the uh, Wii U's relative failure and then the, well, not really that quick turnaround, but fast enough turnaround that it kind of upsets the boundaries of the generation um, yeah. of the uh, Nintendo Switch release. So, it's um, it's it was a little bit complicated to pass, but we eventually decided to go with PS4, Xbox One, and Wii U, and yeah. that was um, primarily because the Switch is so out of sync with the other consoles and is likely to be around for several more years that you can't really close end the generation as much if you bring yeah. the Switch into it. So it gets a bit complicated. Did you have any thoughts on that, Matthew? No, I, I, th- I, th- I thought that was I thought that was fair. I mean. I honestly think a lot of people in their heads, when they think generations, they are probably thinking Xbox versus PlayStation. You know, that, you know, Nintendo are kind of like a weird entity to themselves. They sort of float around like they haven't perfectly aligned with other generation consoles for a while now. Um, yeah, I've I've got no beef with that. I, mean, I think <laughs> isn't the plan that we're going to do a separate Switch list? Yes. So that was the other thing. Is so for Switch and PC, both of which won't be in this list or at least some PC games will, but we'll explain in a moment how we've broken that down. We will do, you know, like a 10 or 20 best Switch games or 10 or 20 best PC games of the past decade. So, yeah, yeah we've, we've got a plan for those. We definitely don't want to leave those out. But, yeah. Um, yeah, so how it works, Matthew, is the game has to have appeared on consoles either first or at the same time as other formats. So yeah. that is why in this list you will not hear games like Return of the Obra Dinn, or Divinity Original Sin 2, both phenomenal games, obviously, but they'll be saved for future lists because they didn't primarily come out on consoles, and I suppose we're trying to capture a bit of, you know, a console identity to this, right? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely what's, like, emerged from my list. I found it quite helpful not having to... that I could push aside some, like, amazing PC and Switch stuff because that would have probably have dominated the conversation for me, so it's yeah. a wise move. Yeah, it was a similar deal for me. It was like, um, you know, a couple of Christmases ago, I sp- I, I played um, Into the Breach nonstop. Um, but it was quite complicated to put that opposite, I don't know, games that came out on PS4 in like 2014, for example. So yeah. it can definitely seem arbitrary, but hopefully that criteria gives you a sense of what we're trying to capture. We're trying to capture, you know, this kind of like 2013 to late 2020 um, period of console games. So hopefully that'll be helpful. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you, Matthew, is what determined your choices in this list? Was it head or heart at play here? Uh, this is a total heart list, um, particularly, like, I think the higher you got the list, maybe the more traditional it gets. Um, but definitely in this chunk, this lower 15 chunk, um, there's a lot of, like, 
personal favourites, things I've you know championed and want to continue championing. There are some absolute 10 out of 10 games that didn't make my list that I really enjoyed playing. Uh, but these are the ones which scores aside have stuck with me. Yeah, I don't know about you, Matthew, but I've got a list of like very obvious games that didn't make the list that I will read out after we've done the top 30s to say, mm. sorry, I didn't play these or I didn't like these, you know. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there's a lot of uh, 8 out of 10 products swishing around in my bottom 15 here. Yeah, I, I sort of... Like you, I went a bit more heart. There's, um, I didn't try and measure influence too much because it just gets too complicated to try and think. You know, well, what do other yeah. people think of? Um, so you might yeah, as well just I, be subjective. Yeah, these are games that just had had a big influence on me, and I'm the only person who matters. So that's why I've <laughs> made the list. <laughs> I've always been saying that, Matthew. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, we should I'd probably also note that if one of us picks a game and the other person has it higher up the list, we're not going to talk about it until we hit the higher up position. Isn't that right? Yeah, that's right. My prediction is that we probably have about half the games the same and then half that are different. Do you think that seems about right? Mm, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> okay, interesting. An interesting tease there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> teeing us up for um, how we go. So, Matthew, do you want to start with your number 30? My number 30 is Tales from the Borderlands. Not on my list. So, ah. a good start. Yeah, um, yeah. One of the big stories of this generation was Telltale Games and the fact that they seem to be making 15 licensed products at the same time at one point. I, mean, I can literally remember a period on OXM where a half hour review section was reviews of like individual episodes of Tales of the Borderlands, Game of Thrones, Minecraft Story, Batman. I mean, it was kind of insane and then they sort of vanished into a sort of big black hole of chaos of uh, of their own making i think um tales of the borderlands really jumped out um this for me was easily the best thing telltale made uh, a genuinely funny which a game which is the rarest kind of game a brilliant sort of uh, sort of heist story with big characters i really liked a few characters from the existing borderlands universe who i hadn't particularly cared for but came to really like it had Good writing, sight gags, really un- uh, comic violence. Had an absolutely fantastic imaginary shootout, Alice-based. Um, and each episode started with uh, an incredible music sequence or title sequence set to a pop song. And it was just so stylish, so funny, so cool. Um, not at all what I expected from Telltale, who you know just had this Walking Dead formula um yeah i i really love this series if anyone was going to play just one telltale game uh this this would be it mm. yeah so i've um heard this as a this has a very good reputation this game and uh weirdly i was d- discussing with my girlfriend last night about all these telltale games i forgot they made so game of thrones was one of those i completely forgot they made that game and yeah. also that they'd made a guardians of the galaxy game like i know nothing about yeah. that game. um <laughs> But that happened. Um, so yeah, like um, this stands head and shoulders above those other games, Matthew, because the comedy works so well. Is that right? Yeah, it's just it's just really really funny. It it you know it has the same like limited interactions that any Telltale game has, but the things you're doing are, are really funny. There's a really great scene where you have to uh, take out a man's eye with a spork, and it's just like a genuinely great bit of physical comedy. Um, in in a game which you just don't really see like i i laughed out loud a lot at this yeah i think I, it also seems to 
unite players who don't find the actual Borderlands games funny. Yeah, but, I, I, yeah. which I don't. I, you know, that, <laughs> I, I thought this was going to be terrible. But, um, yeah, really, like, I don't know. If anything, it made me like all of Borderlands a little better. Well, there you go. That's uh, I would never have predicted that on your list. But, um, yeah, no Telltale games on my list. Is this, so this is the only one on yours, right? Yeah, this is the only one. No, they're all Telltale games. <laughs> Imagine <laughs> that. For, uh, they've made enough that it could be that. <laughs> yeah. Um, or you just did the individual episodes. And we're like, oh, it's episode three of Batman season two. And it's like, oh, wow. I mean, <laughs> yeah. All right, then, Matthew. My number 30 is Bloodborne on PS4. Uh, are there any From games on your list? There are not. Mm, okay. So, I didn't finish this. I played about 60 hours of it, and I don't think I've got that far still, but <laughs> it's one of the games I... Were you still I trying got... to get to that bonfire in the town? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to get past the menu, the main menu. It's like, <laughs> you know, so confusing. Um, so, yeah, it, it was one of the first games that got me excited about owning a ps4 which felt like a bit of a wasted purchase at the time i bought one in 2014 to play another game that's further up this list but in um the case of bloodborne this was something that sort of like felt like it came out of nowhere a little bit i mean obviously dark souls had a big reputation by this point but i think just this sort of like lovecraftian um sort of setting and uh you know kind of overall vibe and weird audio and just the whole atmosphere of it really makes it um makes it memorable even though i don't really love the combat and i found it extremely difficult and uh yeah i reflect on this very fondly i will beat it one day i think it looks quite ropey by today's standards and could really do with a 60 frames per second version that's a pure pc gamer sort of nonsense uh, take there <laughs> yeah. that um, i'm sure people disagree with but um yeah i think this um uh, i've played i've played dark souls and i haven't i don't think it's really my kind of thing and this has a lot of the similar sort of kind of combat, but um, yeah, the bosses in this and the overall strangeness of it, it's just, uh, yeah, I think it's just one of those games you sort of have to play if you bought a PS4. Worth a go, even if you don't think that From games are for you. It's, uh, yeah. yeah. It's, Did you play it much? I, I, I've only played it up to that, that priest you fight in the graveyard really early on, and I couldn't do it. I'm just too much of a noob, or I just don't have the patience for it. Um, the furthest I've got with any of their games has been Sekiro, but I, I didn't finish that either. Yeah, I, like I wish I could love this game mainly because um, for the last, you know, six years, every time I've gone to the pub with Rich Stanton, <laughs> this is what he's talked to me about. Um, <laughs> so it would have been great if I had played it because you know I, I would have been a much more interesting um, pub partner. But um, yeah, alas, no. I feel like I could probably fake it from those conversations. I'm like, oh, yes, the old blood. <laughs> Very deep. Six, six years of nodding politely and getting your phone out to check Twitter, uh, basically. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I like it. And um, I think, like, uh, beating Vicar Amelia solo was one of my sort of um, highlights of this generation. I remember that feeling incredibly good because it took me fewer than 10 attempts and she was incredibly difficult. And I also had nightmares about Vicar Amelia afterwards, who is... Um, like this sort of um, kind of uh, obviously like a vicar lady who it seems like a normal woman then turns into this big sort of like dog thing I think and the dog screams in a human voice and I woke up hearing yeah I woke up hearing that scream that human dog scream (laughs) for about like two weeks after it afterwards so uh, yeah this game (laughs) scarred me for life and for that reason alone I have to put it on the list but um, I do like it and I will finish it eventually but I, I think I just really admire from software sort of like 
just really owning how odd their games are. They don't cut anything back. They're like, this is the, the this is the thing we want to make, and it's really strange, and people seem mm. to dig it, and that's just very very rare, you know. Um, mm. So hit me with your number twenty nine, Matthew. Uh, I realise by saying that Bloodborne isn't in my list. Uh, most people have now dismissed everything I'm about to say, and it's <laughs> going to seem. In fact, some of these are going to seem offensive. Um, <laughs> um, so my twenty nine is uh, Final Fantasy fifteen. Higher up my list. Higher up. Oh, well, then we shall chat about it at a later point. Yes. Um, so it's another one of mine, I'm afraid. Um, That's all right. I'll, you know, hit, hit me up. <laughs> so uh, number 29 is one of three indie games I have on my list, and that is Hotline Miami 2, Wrong Number. Um, a much-hated sequel to the original. Um, <laughs> sort <Good>. of like... <laughs> it's, a good, it's, a good, it's a good pitch so far. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of... Um, it was a breakout, uh, top-down, violent, um, you know, arcade-style game, the original Hotline Miami. Mm. This one got a bit of criticism for the levels being too big, which is definitely true in some cases, um, for how violent it is. Uh, and some of the other imagery in it was quite controversial, which I think fair critique. But um, I think that if you really love that first game, this offered such a sort of comprehensive and exciting challenge. In the first game, you played as um, two different characters across the story, but they're, they're basically similar. In this one, they completely mixed it up. At one point, you're controlling two characters at the same time um, who have different weapons, and then you're con- you're controlling one character who can only use melee weapons and you're going into these buildings and basically like you know john wick set pieces um play out where mm. you know you shoot guys or you hack them up and you throw objects at them and it's basically a you know a score attack game as you clear out these sort of different floors so yeah this one uh, the music is so phenomenal in these games and i've got to say i think i slightly prefer the second one to the first now and almost no one else thinks that i'm sure but i think if you just really got into the sort of like mindset of mastering that first game this is just kind of amazing so yeah that's one of my sort of contrarian takes i guess matthew any thoughts uh i i love the first one i actually haven't played the second one which is which is a terrible admission i I should i should get on that um i remember yeah there being a buzz of controversy around some of its uh narrative setups in early previews and things um Mm. isn't this isn't this what uh famously someone's playing this in the last of us 2 and then you shank them Yes, that's right. Um, I don't know if they're playing the second one or the first, but yeah, that was um, they made a big deal about that, right? Um, yeah, yeah, that's probably for the right move because, like, it would be a bit depressing if they were playing like tear away and then got their throat cut. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, Let's face it: the least believable thing about that, Matthew, is that someone in the near future is playing a PS Vita. I mean, <laughs> yeah. well, just that there's still is there still electricity in the future? <laughs> Like, in their dire situation of The Last of Us 2, where everyone's basically living in, like, log cabins and eating potatoes raw out of the ground, uh, the idea that someone's got a Vita, surely that would make them, like, the emperor of the world. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what the sort of cultural situation is there, but, um, yeah. I mean, you've played the game, Matthew. Is it, can you not shed any more light? Um, you just, well, it's, just some, it's just some kid who's sitting by, like, some water, and then you come out of the water and give them a good old shanking. Um, yeah, it's not not much not much sexier than that. But at the time, I did think, oh, that's weird product placement. You know, <laughs> that's probably the thing that the game's now best known for. I guess I don't feel like anyone talks about this otherwise. But uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. that's that's definitely the defining moment of the Last of Us Two um, yeah. when someone gets someone gets murdered while they're playing Patapon on <laughs> the on the on the PSP. <laughs> Loco Roco. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
Okay, Matthew, hit me with your number 28. Uh, what remains of Edith Finch? Oh, it's higher up my list, Matthew. Oh, well, listen, that's okay. I look, for, I look forward to talking about it later and and hearing your 28. <laughs> yeah, okay. So my 28 is uh, Batman Arkham Knight. Is this on oh, your that's, list? that's higher up mine. <laughs> Amazing. We're, we're getting through this so quickly. Oh, thank, it's going to take five Christ minutes. Thank Christ, save listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, oh, that really They're dragged like, those first two. Entries. I thought this was going to happen. Mm, I'm surprised, um, actually. But yeah. So um, my 27 is, and this isn't on your list, Kalimba. That's not on my list. Correct. Talk yes. me through it, Matthew. Uh, Kalimba 2014 on Xbox One. I think it was on PC as well. From Press Play was a Xbox first party game, I believe. Um, I mm. believe Press Play were one of their studios that got the snip along with Lionhead. I think. Um, this, for me, was just one of the most underrated slashed, slash ignored uh, games of the generation. A really cool little puzzle platformer where you control kind of parallel sets of sort of anthropomorphic totem heads. So these little kind of wooden chunks. And a lot of the puzzles were about guiding people on dual tracks. And then they sort of met up. And I don't know if they were... Pu- yeah, they were puzzles. They were sort of gravity-twisting stuff. Um, it was really minimalist visually, but it had this incredible um, style to it. Really funky sort of soundtrack, almost like like polka music or something. It was really like umpa umpa umpa, but mixed up with like weird electro stuff. Um, it does one of my favourite things, which is when you pick up collectibles, they sort of semi harmonise with the soundtrack, so it all sounds like it's it's meant to be happening that way. Um, it's a game where, like, as you play it well, it just sounds and looks magical. And it's got some really funny writing. Um, the game's hosted by this uh, guy called Ho-Bear the Meta-Bear. And he's just this, like, hipster bear who kind of explains the world and the lore of Kalimba in this very droll way. Um, I thought this was absolutely immense. I love this game. Um, I still boot up occasion and have a little play on it uh, just to sort of like cheer myself up. Um, you can still play it on PC. I think you can still, yeah, it's, it's probably still on Xbox as well. Um, yeah, Press Play, interesting studio. They did that Max and the Magic Marker game. Um, Max, and then the one for the Xbox, I think it was called Max and the Curse of Brotherhood, which I also really liked. Uh, was very, very solid 2D platformer with this like um, you could draw into the levels kind of gimmick. But Kalimba. Very, very cool. Um, I feel like if it was on a... It feels like the kind of thing that would have been a huge indie breakout hit if it hadn't been kind of consigned to like some weird Xbox first-party thing. Just a, a great, cool thing. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, like releasing an Xbox One game in 2014, basically death, I would imagine. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I guess Microsoft decided that that nice bear that you liked had to die, Matthew. And, um, <laughs> you know, harsh. <laughs> Harsh, I say. He, this really droll voice. It really, he is very funny. Um, I had a very fond memory of reviewing. Uh, we were playing. I think there was like a. There was either a co-op mode or a co-op DLC they added later. And I remember playing this with Kate Gray, who was our staff writer on Official Xbox Magazine. And it was a real like super stressful kind of like. Are we going to have to get HR involved? <laughs> like, because you know, you get those co-op games that just drive two people to like murderous fury, um, but sort of genius with it. Really yeah. good fun. That's a, that's a dynamic you try and forge with all your staff, isn't it? Matthew? Yeah. <laughs> 
I really want them to hate me, and I want to shout at them while we're playing games. So that's uh, yeah, tick tick on Kalimba. Oh yeah, it's good. It's um, yeah, I don't, I actually don't know much about it, which um, probably isn't that surprising. I've heard the name, obviously, but um, is it on Game Pass? Uh, I, I, it should be. I don't know if it is. I mean, I'd hope so. It's mad if it's just sitting there gathering dust, but um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's on Steam as well if people want to play it. But um, yeah. So, Matthew, my number 27. Uh, I don't think this will be on your list. It's Rocket League. It it's isn't. Yeah. Car football. That was the thing that happened this generation. Um, yeah. The kind of the PS Plus generated sort of overnight smash. That was a thing that happened this generation a few times. Most recently with Fall Guys, obviously. Yeah, I think this was the first time that it really happened where it was the day of release and you could just download it as part of your PS Plus membership on PS4. Uh, such a simple thing. Um, apparently, um, Psyonix, a developer, made a game exactly like this on PS- PS3 and Xbox 360 with a much worse name and no one cared. But they brought this out basically the same, apparently, and uh, it was a massive success. So I put this on the- on here despite always having mixed feelings on it. No game makes me angrier than Rocket League. And <laughs> this is a- the ultimate example of my girlfriend watching me play a game for like more than an hour and thinking, why are you still doing this? And... Um, <laughs> I've started to ask myself the same thing, and I'm not really as into it these days, but I originally had um, Wolfenstein The New Order on in this slot, and I just thought, it's not a true representation of my generation if I don't talk about Rocket League, so Mm. it had to go in there, even though it's lower than it it probably would be if you'd have asked me like three or four years ago. Mm. Um, So yeah, very simple, but um, one of the best sort of like co-op and multiplayer experiences on PS4, really fast um, loading and fast matchmaking, and just, uh, I would say like a a real sort of um, top-end game when it comes to that stuff. But, uh, yeah, I'm a bit over it now, Matthew. Um, yeah, any thoughts? I, I, I never really got into it. I was so bad at it, and I felt like... I know that there is skilled play to it and that people play it in a serious way and people really get into it and there's all these little tricks you can master. But for me, it just... I mean, everyone's like, oh, it's so zany, you know, playing fo- football with a car. But I have... Like about as much control over that car and ball as I do like my human body playing football. <laughs> it was just too many reminders of just kicking a ball in a playground and seeing it kind of just whiz off at a right angle and everyone calling me horrible names. Uh, Rocket League's just a bit too raw for me. Uh, <laughs> but, wow. uh, I, you know, I get that people are into it. Didn't millions of people had free access to it, so everyone was just, like, super into it. Yeah, that was it. And then it was still a massive hit on PC as well, and I think mm. just the, having it on PS Plus just created this massive, like, wave of word of mouth. It just yeah, annoyed... It- oh, it's just very stressful, like, playing against other people who knew what they were doing. Um, again, not to keep bringing up Rich Stanton in this podcast, but another defining feature of the last few years was Rich really likes Rocket League. And um, as one of his Facebook and Twitter friends, uh, for a long period of time, all he ever posted was clips of him playing Rocket League set to um, like whatever band of the moment, like Queen music and like Metallica or something and then it all got pulled for like copyright reasons <laughs> and he was really cross that his like life's work had been destroyed <laughs> well there you go so, I mean yeah it's good so even though you didn't have your own anecdotes you could borrow yeah I've got else's. other people like really the story of this ge- my my story of this generation is in many ways also Rich Stanton's story 
exactly. Um, are you going to have a different Rich Stanton pub story for every single entry on my list? Um, <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's Rocket League, Matthew. Um, I have nothing further to say on it, and I think my time with it is uh, over, but had to be here. So, uh, yeah, hit well, me with I'm your... Glad it made the list. <laughs> yeah, hit me with your number 26. Uh, 26, this is another pretty obscure one. This is Hand of Fate 2. Mm, yep, not on my list, so go ahead. <laughs> yeah, this was 2017, Xbox One, uh, I think it was on PS4 as well, um, Defiant, made by Defiant Development, who I think are no more, um, alas. Um, the basic setup of Hand of Fate, for people who didn't play uh, either of them, which both came out this generation, uh, it's sort of an action RPG, but told as a series of tarot cards uh, being dealt by this sort of games master character, and he, the, this sort of dealer figure, and he like deals a card, and then what what it says on the card is like the next bit of the story. So you're attacked by bandits, and then it becomes this you're sort of whisked away to this little arena to fight these bandits. Um, I really liked that as a setup. I thought it was great, like narrative mechanical mix that was really really fun. Um, for me, the reason this game really registered was it filled a big, uh, like the big fable shaped hole in this generation. Um, you know, Fable obviously sort of sort of died with Lionhead. Uh, it's coming back um, in the future thanks to Playground Games. Um, but this game had a very similar vibe, like quite stripped down action mechanics. Not too much RPG. Was more into the kind of the the sort of fun of the storytelling. It was very characterful. Um, it had this very like uh, the, the tarot thing sounds gimmicky, but it's it's very nicely done because you basically collect more event cards as it goes on so the potential range of events that can happen in the next story increases and you never really know what kind of combination you're going to get you know you might get dealt you find a legendary sword and then the sort of run of it's a bit easier so there's almost like a few roguelike elements in there as well i just thought this was a, a really like really neat idea beautifully executed two was such an improvement over one which was already a cool idea so it's a bit of a shame that i don't think defiant are are still around to make more but this was just yeah for for like an indie project as well it was was pretty great production values um yeah just very neat game full of surprises quirky twists um i was a, a big big fan of this and hope more people discover it yeah, I'm surprised actually that the card element didn't make it a bit of a bigger success just because I feel like hybrid card sort of games have become so huge in the last few years yeah. with Slay the Spires but, and Monster Trains and stuff. But it was like before all that, by like a good couple of years, I think. Mm. So it had already kind of been and gone. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a strange, it is a strange one. It's a bit of a bit of a hard pitch, I think, because, you know, people who are into their RPGs have quite a set idea of what they want from that and... This this like this was a very interesting way of doing a big RPG, but like on an indie budget. Yeah, that's an interesting choice for sure. So my number twenty six, Matthew, is Fallout Four on your list. Oh, it's not. Yeah, it was almost not on my list. It's probably the most disappointing RPG Bethesda has made. It arrived on a wave of hype and bad Vault Boy merch, and <laughs> it very much feels like more of the same with um, when it comes to Fallout Three, um, especially the ending which um, both Fallout 3 and Fallout 4 feature an ending where a giant robot goes through a city destroying loads of enemies. And um, it's so identical that I I think it was meant to be like a kind of cheeky reference and fun, but I think it underlined this game's problem of feeling so much like Fallout 3, which is just an amazing generation-defining RPG. 
I did still enjoy it a great deal. I played it for like 80 hours. Um, it's got a bunch of great quests in there. Uh, it does look nicer, a lot nicer than Fallout 3 and Fallout New mm. Vegas did. There's a generational gap there. Maybe not as big as people were hoping for. Mm. It has a really pointless settlement system, which I didn't ever understand why they thought that was an interesting addition. Um, <laughs> and it has, a yeah, like I say, it's got a few great quests, including one where you um, become a kind of a, a pulpy superhero, uh, like a radio serial superhero and yeah. um you assume the character this character while uh this um uh, mutated guy uh reads out your kind of exploits and you you become a real sort of vigilante and that i think is one of the best superhero experiences in any in any game so i, I really oh, love right. that yeah you go into a comic book shop you steal the costume and then you become the character and your character starts talking in the silly voice and this um <laughs> that was great fun so yeah so there's that but yeah, I, otherwise it just fell a little bit flat. And I wonder if after this and Fallout 76, if the series needs a really, a really, really good run next time, or it might interest and it might die out a little bit. Maybe not, yeah. but any thoughts? Yeah, it's a similar thing. I, I got sucked up into that, like, endless running around protecting settlements, whatever that was, not realising that it was just, like, randomly generating new threats constantly. Like, I thought there was an end in sight The was it the Minutemen? You yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, so I spent ages running around doing that, which turned out to be largely pointless. Um, and then any any time I had to do some building for a quest, or if like in that initial settlement, I just built like the ugliest like brown wooden box with just like a, a which just had a load of crates in for storing shit that I didn't want to carry. And it just felt like every time I saw it, it was just a monument to how much I didn't give a shit about that system, which is kind of depressing when you see it. Um, but I, yeah, I, I did have a, I did have a lot of fun with it. When you were talking about all the merchandise, was this the one that came with the plastic pit pit boy that you could like you you maybe wouldn't be recommended by a doctor to insert your hand into? <laughs> Uh, I don't know. Um, I just remember there being like lots of kind of clothes and maybe pillows and things like that. Right. I was like, how did this this thing become so huge without me realizing it? I thought, I know it's really weird to see this um, old sort of like cult PC series become so mainstream. That was really bizarre. Yeah. Um, and I don't think yeah. this game quite lived up to it, but it was exciting. I, I tell you what, it made people buy magazines as well, which was good. <laughs> so it sure thank, did. Thank you, Fallout Four, for that. <laughs> it sure did. The appetite for it was huge, and I was actually at the um, Bethesda Three Three conference where they announced it, and that was so exciting for sure. It was like enormous. Um, but yeah, in retrospect, not huge on it. But I, um, I'm, I'm still hopeful about you know Starfield and Elder Scrolls Six. I think mm. um, some good stuff could happen. But uh, Matthew, hit me with your number twenty-five. Well, this is Batman: Arkham Knight. I've which heard is also it. on your list, but slightly lower down. I, I, I just, I really, really rate this game as like when it came out, it felt like a really sexy next gen version of the previous game. You know, it had technical problems on PC. It maybe had a few technical problems on Xbox, but man alive, it was so shiny. It just looked absolutely amazing. It was quite a, like a, a mind blowing thing. Um, I thought that while obviously Arkham City had done like a lot of the heavy lifting, I just thought this this elevated a lot of its ideas. I thought it was a much smoother blend of like the open world and story beats. I loved how some of the villains appeared in the world. Um, I even liked the Batmobile. I'm that freak. What what did you make of this one? Well, so 
like you, I'm kind of bewildered that this was the this wasn't technically the only game that Rocksteady released this generation because they made Arkham VR as well. But that's oh, a very, okay, yeah, yeah, that's a very short game. Um, but nonetheless, um, so I um, I like bits about the Batmobile. I think that you kind of have to have the Batmobile to complete the Batman fantasy, and that's what these Arkham games are all about. Um, yeah, obviously the tank combat sections are. Do you think those are good? Because I don't think those are good. I think they're fine. I don't think they're good, but I think they're fine. Like, I, like some people are like, oh, this is broken. Like, I almost couldn't get past it. I was like, what are you talking about? You just strafe. And it's built for strafing. It's a tank. It's great. <laughs> it's, um, I, I definitely agree with you, the point about it being um, properly next-gen. That's one of the notes I got here. And it still feels very next-gen, I think. There are very few games this generation that look this good. Um, mm. An absolutely beautiful game. I think it just it's a bit less consistent as a game than I think Arkham City was, which is still my preferred entry. Mm. But uh, the Batmobile was extraordinary to behold. Like, um, just the animation on it was just fantastic. Yeah, and the yeah way- I think that, that's, that's partly it. Like, to try and f- make quite an unwieldy piece of equipment work in what isn't really a proper open world game you know it's 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 much it's got much more in common with a metroidvania and to try and find a way that 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 vehicle or a vehicle is relevant i I still think it worked for me um i liked the whole kind of joker hallucination stuff throughout i thought that was that was fun um i really liked that um when it first kicks off is it the man bat quest where he just like jumps out of nowhere suddenly you're in the open world and then he's just suddenly there and it's like scared the living shit out of me is it, <laughs> yeah. is it man bat i think it is yeah it's man bat and it does i remember how like shiny its wings looked it was a really fucking scary looking thing yeah i just yeah it, it, it had it had some fun in fact i don't think it was until insomniac's spider-man game that like outdoor villain sections were done as well like i really liked chasing after people and stuff around that 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 little area of arkham knight and some of the kind of open you know it didn't just feel like every villain was in a room waiting for a boss fight you know somewhere out and about it just felt very batman-y and i liked the whole you know what happens when you round them all up and everything i mean i don't know if it maybe it's 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 a total affront to a to a hardened batman fan from a lore perspective but I, i just thought it was quite nicely done no, I, I think it was a really... Um, a, all of these games are really rich portrayals of Batman's universe. And this mm. brought in, like, Professor Pig, a character who, um, you know, Grant Morrison and Frank Quitely created, um, like, uh, not that long ago. And uh, I really loved um, seeing those kind of characters in the mix. It had, like, um, Deacon Blackfire as well, another quite deep pull. Um, and I think that when you compare this to... You say it's not really an open-world game. It's definitely more like an open-world game than the other two are. Um Right. It, yeah, but like um I think that they are much better at creating side quests on the whole than a lot of um modern open world games um give you. Mm. They're a lot more character driven. It's like the side quests are usually not always, usually linked to a villain of some kind. And they were definitely fun to unpick. Um yeah, just a weird one really. Um it feels like the Batmobile stuff really overshadowed its reputation. I don't think that's fair. It's a good game for sure. Mm. yeah no i liked yeah yeah it was it was it was good i have very very fond memories i did all of the riddler stuff i got every last bit of it wow that sounds like a problem like a real problem with you you know i just (laughs) no it's good there was always like individual lines for like every you know when there are like three left he's like oh god there's only three left i didn't think anyone would do this (laughs) it's it's fun (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, they're just the level of detail on that stuff was um, really good. It all, uh, yeah. Uh, do you think it's really bizarre that you know we are sort of like more than five years after its release, almost six years actually, and they didn't make a sequel? Mm. Uh, I know they're making this Gotham Knights game. It looks a bit Destiny-ish, and not really the same thing. And I, why? How does like a game be this successful and not get a sequel? Isn't that really bizarre? It is. It is odd. I yeah. I mean. Maybe when we see Suicide Squad, it will make more sense. You know, maybe the scope of that's just going to be so unreal that you were like, oh, this is a game that was clearly, like, took eight years to make or something. But, um, yeah, hard to, hard to say, really. God knows what, what goes on behind the scenes. Yeah, for sure. All right, then, Matthew. So, uh, where are we? Like, my 25? What's your 25? My number 25 is Prey. Is this on your list? It isn't. Uh, the closest we got to a Bioshock game this generation was Arcane's Prey. Came out in early 2017, I think. It was uh, resolutely not as good as Dishonored, another game by Arcane, another series hmm. by Arcane. Um, it had no real nuance to the combat, uh, really, because you're mostly fighting, um, you know, black goo monsters, um, aliens, yeah. on this big space station. But I think that it really excelled when it came to a sense of place. I think it was a beautiful uh, space to explore. Um, and I thought the story did some quite interesting stuff. And I really like the whole um, creating your own ammo and um, items out of like bits you found in the environment. I uh, I think mm. it has one of the most satisfying um, sort of in-game objects of the generation, where like you would drop all your stuff, and then these little um, coloured cubes would come out, and that would those would be your resources you could use to yeah. to build stuff. That was cool. Yeah, I just I just I just liked it, and I think that even though the combat was a bit a bit broad, you couldn't really get as specific with it as you can with Dishonored's combat. I do I just still really enjoyed like the glue gun, like uh, gumming up enemies, even though I think that the uh, sort of like the aliens taking on the appearance of objects just meant it was an endless run of jump scares, which tires you out. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think it, I, I still I still really enjoyed it, and uh, yeah. yeah, what do you make of it? This this almost made my list it was definitely on my long list um as a location i absolutely adored it like as a realization of a space station and the kind of commitment to like the the, like the spatial realism of the place the fact that you could you know really get into all the nooks and crannies of 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 the location and you know nothing was bogus it was all there as a physical space it all made sense you know you could get into the attic space and the crawl space the idea of a spaceship having an attic is dumb now i say it out loud um <laughs> it's not it's not very science fiction an attic but uh whatever the room is in the future that is above your living space um mm. it had those and you know the whole kind of finding the um you know, finding all the logs and the fact that like every single human mm. crew member was accounted for on the ship in some way. You could trace everyone. There wasn't like an NPC who shouldn't have been there. There were like a hundred crew members, and somewhere on that ship there were at least a hundred bodies. So it, it you know, it had a, a beautiful kind of like logic and truth to it. Um, mm. I just, I just fucking hated the aliens in it. I thought they were shit. Um, and hitting those guys with the little ones they were just rubbish they were i wish they that game had better baddies um but the rest yeah. of it i loved <laughs> yeah i think um the sense of place is amazing so when you float out into space you can go to the airlocks for every single part of the space station so like you say you can you know set a waypoint for every crew member um, that you find a kind of log for in the computer systems and then 
yeah, the fact that you can float up in space to, you know, an area you're in hours before, that's really good. Um, too much backtracking in it, but I sort of wanted to celebrate this game anyway. It's not the highest of the kind of immersive simi type games that's on my list. Hmm. Yeah, I, I was, it was definitely like a toss up for me, but um, I'm really glad I played this this generation even if it's mm. um, imperfect. Had a lot of secrets to find as well, and a few very good side quests. Do you remember the side quest of the chef in this game? No. Mm, the chef is not who he says he is, and it's, uh, I don't know, it's just, uh, it really stuck with me, that one. It was, um, was, yeah. was he actually a black tentacle monster? <laughs> no, he wasn't, but... Um, oh, okay, interesting. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> that is different. <laughs> it's just, um, yeah, there's, uh, there's a few memorable um, sort of uh, supporting um, characters in this. Uh, yeah, I liked it. So, um, Matthew, what's your 24? Pikmin 3. Yep, not on my list. On the 2013 Wii U. Wii U Nintendo. This was the first really good first party wii u game i think or at least it is in my head that i can remember um and it was also a a version of pikmin which just finally worked for me like pikmin one and two i kind of appreciated but i never really loved and i felt that the pointer controls that they added if you played it with the pointer um just finally made sense for me in this game like pikmin made sense like, it was always really a game to be played with, a, like, a mouse and keyboard, and Nintendo found a way to make it work. Um, and because of that, just the idea came alive for me, which is, you are a little astronaut, you and yourself are quite weak, so you can call on an army of small plant creatures to um, basically solve the environmental puzzles and fight the kind of giant insects that are out to get you. Um, there's, like... It's not massively complicated, but there's a really nice logic to what Pikmin you have to use where this one introduced the rock Pikmin, who are basically just rocks with eyes, and I always felt like a a, a big sort of spiritual affinity with them whenever I saw them in concept arcs. They're just like these tired little rock blokes sitting down, and they just look like they're permanently knackered because they're basically having to carry around a huge rock body. And I was like, yeah, same. So... um, yeah, I just very sweet game, very well made, very polished, lovely sense of texture. Like there's a big beetle boss, and you throw the rocks, pick me at him to like shatter his carapace, and and uh, yeah, just a, a really lovely tactile thing from Nintendo. Um, very good. I'm not at all surprised that they re-released it on Switch because um, probably about eight people played it originally. Have you played the Switch version? I haven't, no. Uh, does it still have the pointer controls in it? I believe it does, yeah. Yeah, I'd expect so, but um, yeah, I was just kind of curious. So I'm still not really sure what the uh, Switch um, controllers can do, sorry, the Joy-Cons can do um, when it comes to that sort of stuff. I think but, they um, can pre- they can pretty much do like anything the, the Wii remote could do, and probably better, so... Okay, yeah, good stuff. I remember thinking this was like one of the first examples I saw of like, oh, this is what Nintendo a Nintendo HD game looks like. That was a you know a big question mark of you know I know they can make Wii games look beautiful but the idea of actually seeing um you know a HD game like a really nice looking HD game. I remember the fruit in this game looked really nice and the water. Oh, it had great fruit. Fantastic fruit. Mm, um, really nice looking strawberries. It, yeah, it had a nice structure as well cuz the, the whole thing with Pikmin is you're always sort of against the clock cuz you've got like x days to escape the planet. So is this sort of like pressure sort of time pressure which always used to sort of scare me a bit in the first two and this one it still had this sort of vibe where you basically had to keep feeding your crew fruit juice 
And so you that's why you were collecting fruit, but you could sort of stockpile all this juice. And the juice sloshing around in the lo- little bottles looked really good. Um, you know, I remember looking at it and thinking, I would hate to be stuck in the depths of space, on crashed on a planet. Like, I would probably lose my mind. But also, <laughs> man, that juice looks great. Um, so, you know, silver linings. Actually, I say that, juice gives me wicked heartburn. So, you know. <laughs> That's it. Just you need some little rock uh, sort of Pikmin to carry you some Rennie over. Um, or eat the, pi- the rock Pikmin. I don't know if they're very, like, cal- calcium heavy, but that might... <laughs> and they're like, hey, there were 97 rock Pikmin yesterday, and now there are 96. What's going on? <laughs> and I'm just there like, I don't know, with like a little purple foot sticking out the side of my mouth. <laughs> Oh man, there you go. I saw an image I didn't expect to be conjured by this podcast as eating um, Pikmin, but um, yeah. yeah, aiming the remote pointer at my own mouth <laughs> <laughs> and just oh. pressing A for go in there, <laughs> get in there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, Living the dream. Uh, yeah, that could be DLC for the Switch version, maybe. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, good stuff. Um, yeah, I haven't played that, but I, uh, I it's on my list, and I, I've considered picking up the Switch one. It's a choice between picking up the Switch one, Matthew, or plugging in the Wii U. And it, like, oh it's a... god, yeah. I would I would genuinely rather spend fifty quid on a new game than have to plug that in again. <laughs> that is it. You know, think about just think about the logistics of it. The amount of plug sockets the Wii U takes up. Um, yeah, I just I can't even. Yeah, it's much easier to have someone bring it from a warehouse to my flat. Um, yeah, so my number 24 is uh, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, which I don't think oh. will be on your list, right? It didn't make my list. I did. Th- I thought on it for about 10 seconds and then went, nah. Yeah, I don't think... Um, it's funny because I saw uh, sort of uh, someone we both know um, tweet about how boring this game was the other day. Um, and I sort of don't really agree. I think it's um, a good uh, solid hybrid of that uncharted 4 style cinematic sort of action game and then also you know just enough of the old dark souls kind of um structure and uh sort of combat to well more like um Sekiro's combat really even though they were made sort of simultaneously as a sort of big time star wars fan this is uh the only really only real star wars game i liked from this generation there weren't many obviously um the squadrons was all right but this is the only one i really loved and I think that this was really dunked on for having a very average boy who looks like he'd get his head flushed down the toilet as a main character sort of Jedi, rather than like a more interesting sort of uh, lead. Oh, and I, yeah. Uh, big me energy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was sort of, and he was getting dunked on so much. I was there thinking, like, if I was a Jedi in like a Star Wars film, if I was cast as a Jedi, this is what would happen to me. I was like watching it in real time. <laughs> it's like, who's this dweeb? Um, yeah, but um, I think um, he's really good in it, this actor. And I think generally the cast is extremely good. It's um, it's a Star Wars story that fits quite nicely into the canon without being without overdoing it in the way that the uh, Force Unleashed games did on the 360. Mm. Um, I don't think it excels at lightsaber combat as in lightsaber to lightsaber combat, but I felt the Force powers are really nice in this. The Star mm. Wars planets are really well done. The sort of Metroidvania structure... It's sort of borrowed. Um, I think that they um, they uh, they made it work. Like um, it wasn't really an open world game, but it was quite nice to look at the maps of each yeah. planet and be like, "Oh, I've only seen sixty percent of it." So, oh, I haven't been in this star destroyer that's like tipped on its side. So, what's in there? That's and then... Good, some good side content that was like epic, and you never had to do it, but you really missed out if you didn't. 
Yeah, absolutely. Some good optional bosses. Um, yeah, I, I, I really rated it, and I thought that um, it was almost worth EA having the license for all those years just to get this game. I did, I did really like it, and it was. It definitely felt like the um, the old God of War teams, sort of like I don't know. It's a little bit of old God of War in there as well, and. Um, mm. Yeah, I, I liked it a lot. I thought, um, yeah, good job. It sold, like, millions of copies as well, so people were well up for this when it came out. Um, yeah. Helped save me from hating Star Wars after the uh, Rise of Skywalker came out, the truly toilet yeah. film. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, uh, hit me with your number 23, Matthew. My 23 is Dragon Age Inquisition. Yeah, not on my list, but I did ponder ah, it. I thought this might be. Yeah, I uh, I didn't have a huge relationship with Dragon Age before this. Like, it's not a, not a universe I, I, you know, I hadn't... I hadn't played like the other games all the way through i'd played like a chunk of one i haven't played dragon age 2 i'll put my hand up and admit it um but this um i just i really love the location work in it I, I i thought it was a really fantastic world to explore a little bit like video gaming in that there was you know 30 mystical doodads to get in every area <laughs> and 10 crystals and 10 of this and some bottles of fucking wine for your cellar um which is mad um but um i love the, the the way the little fancy worlds unfolded as little miniature sandboxes uh they had some real surprises to them i like the fact that you could like find a cave that you hadn't noticed for 10 hours go through and there'd be like a massive great dragon in there sort of tearing up the place and you'd be like oh this is exciting um just felt like a very fun take on the kind of like action rpg elements of it um and that was sort of balanced out by the fact that i, re- I really liked the stronghold stuff i really liked the characters um I thought there were a couple of stretches of really good story missions. Um, there's that bit where you go to the kind of foreign court where it's all about kind of... Um, uh, you, you, you're sort of judged on your kind of sort of social standing and etiquette and it's like a weird little sort of three-hour kind of spy adventure in the middle of it. Um, you know, I, yeah, I just... I, 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 I thought it had a lot of surprises in store. I just had a, a, a really thoroughly good time. Maybe that is coloured by the fact that I don't have huge attachments to it. I don't know. I don't really know how big Dragon Age One and Two fans feel about Dragon Age Inquisition, but I liked it, and it gave me a lot of hope for Andromeda because I just thought, oh yeah, a sci-fi version of this would be great. And then it wasn't quite that. But what did you make of Dragon Age Inquisition? Right. So uh, it's interesting that you pick up on you don't know how it's perceived. Um, I think there are two types of Dragon Age fan, and the first one are uh, hardcore PC players who love Baldur's Gate and love the fact that Dragon Age Origins had this very, um, on PC, uh, only on PC, not on consoles, had this very tactical, like, top-down, control-your-characters sort of combat, and then they didn't really feel like Inquisition or the or Dragon Age 2 actually kind of continued that and were very disappointed, but... I think people who were really invested in the lore and the sort of world and the story and the characters of um, Dragon Age really loved Inquisition. Um, mm. And I think that the character work in this is fantastic. The um, dialogue that plays out when you're exploring that world and the little interplay between your supporting party members is as good as anything Bioware's done before in like Mass Effect 2 or whatever. Mm. Um, I really liked it. Like, I think that I agree with you that Bioware, I think, struggles with what value is in an open world game and just rammed it with side quests it didn't need um mm. but i i did really like it the only reason i didn't put it in is i didn't feel like i played enough of it to truly get a grasp on it um 
I got to like where the bit where Corypheus turns up and attacks that town, and then not much further. But um, mm. and uh, yeah, I, but I liked it. It was the, the combat was good. It looked really nice, especially on PC. It looked fantastic. Um, mm. Yeah, yeah, good, good. Why don't you think uh, Andromeda sort of retained it? Um, the characters are very poor in Andromeda. I just felt the overall story. Uh, story, I was, I just wasn't very interested. And it's it's weirdly similar. Like the the whole process of like you running the Inquisition and trying to spread the Inquisition's influence in Dragon Age isn't that dissimilar to like trying to sort of like build up the reputation of you know whatever the fuck you're called in <laughs> andromeda space force um, <laughs> um like you know you, you're in these quite big you know structurally it's very similar like sam big sort of like sandbox areas um lots of side quests in between but they just uh i don't know maybe that maybe they just didn't lean into the law i mean that you know you're in a new galaxy universe whatever galaxy in andromeda and it felt like the kind of the big dramatic concern was something completely new and it just felt like quite a bad star trek episode the kind of like the the kind of war between the sort of the baddies and these sort of like i think they were like dog people i can't really remember i i'm i sort of I've, in my head i can see a basically a woman with like a blue dog's face i don't know if that's right um but uh i didn't really care about that but i was more into the the lore of inquisition and amazingly as someone who hadn't played much of previous dragon ages like i still understood inquisition i think it established its stakes pretty clearly and explained itself quite well and you know you can just stand around asking everyone you meet like 20 questions until you basically know their personal history which probably helps but yeah just uh, andromeda was just slightly off in so many ways but basically the same game it felt yeah it's funny because um bioware is another of those developers who uh, as you mentioned at the start of the episode, just they were like real winners from that first HD generation who didn't quite make it happen this generation. But um, yeah. Inquisition, I don't know. Like, um, I'm surprised there were so few like big fantasy RPGs this generation because it seems like the appetite for them is like enormous, but there aren't that many of yeah. them when you really think about it. You know? Yeah, it's mm. odd, but there's there is. If anything, it's caused the appetite to rise again. I think we're going to see a a big rush of them this gen maybe it's just a generational thing maybe it just takes time to like get your kind of ducks in order or whatever yeah for sure well so uh my number 23 matthew that's where we're at right yes yeah uh titanfall 2 is this on your list this isn't very almost made it but didn't didn't quite get there yeah so i think whenever people talk about this now they largely talk about the single player mode in this um it's a six or seven hour uh, story mode that um i don't think people had high expectations for a story mode for titanfall um even mm. though it was made by uh the developers of several of the greatest first person shooter campaigns ever i would say yeah. um and um i believe the way they made it was um they basically had people in this sort of lab setup where they were kind of like coming up with different concepts for levels and then they sort of like um built levels around those ideas and um yeah, it's sort of um, the, probably the most famous level in this is the one where you can use a device to switch between two different time frames at a level. Um, yeah. This is the first of two games on my list that do that. Matthew, I'm sure you can guess mm. the other one. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, so 
I think it was a it was a really great uh, single player shooter. My favorite level in this though is not that level. It's the level where you're in a um, prefab housing factory, yeah, and um, how the houses are being assembled on a production line, and you're kind of like wall running between all all of them. Um, just a brilliant creation, so so good. Yeah, I just I really love that single player. But um, while I hadn't played the multiplayer before. It launched on Steam a few months ago, and I did. I played a whole bunch of it then, and the multiplayer was phenomenal in this. Just um, yeah. the feeling of calling down your Titan, jumping in, the drama of it, and the audio. It's um, yeah, it's uh, it was really, really good. It's a shame it got overlooked. You know, what do you think of it? Yeah, pretty much the same. And like, I I really admire the multiplayer. I didn't play a huge amount of it. Um, in fact, spoiler alert: I don't think there's a single multiplayer focus game on my list. Um, which just shows where my my head is at with regards to you know I just much prefer single player games. Mm. Um, I was terrible at it, but it felt lovely. It was you know it's it's one of the nicest feeling shooters around, and the drama of it you know every match looks exciting. Um, but again, yeah, I, I love the single player in this. Um, you know, like you say, it's just really easy to recall levels and say, oh, the, the level where the house gets built around you, and you're like, oh, yeah, that's classic. You know, it's a classic set piece thing. Um, I hope whatever they do that they, you know, while they are an amazing studio at making uh, multiplayer games, I hope that they do make single player games because outside of what they did, I thought the single player shooter this generation was nowhere near as good as it was the previous generation pretty much outside of them and probably wolfenstein it was pretty dry um i didn't really Doom. like any of the call of duty campaigns this generation mm. um so yeah please keep making more of those well it's the two doom games as well matthew um, but, oh, um... yeah the, I, the, the dooms are quite different though in terms of like it's not quite the same like set piece driven very linear shooter it's something mm. slightly different. I don't know. Maybe. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's you, pretty a fair point. You're talking about that kind of like um, that Call of Duty style guided campaign sort of shooter, right? Yeah, That's... which I know some people are like tired of. But when it's done well, it's it's one of the most exciting things around. Like there's a reason everyone started doing them. Because when those first couple of Modern Warfare campaigns came out, they were like stupidly good. And we all got bored of them very quickly, but at the time it was like man alive. And I think Titanfall 2 just showed, yes, there is an appetite if you come up with new ideas and if you do them brilliantly. Like, there's no reason these these can't still be thrilling. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what's your number uh, 22, Matthew? Um, the Evil Within. Mm, yeah, not on my list. Um... <laughs> yeah, I, I sort of am denied around this one. Like, it, this, is a, this is a total heart choice. Like, I, you know... I think I gave this like an eight out of ten when I reviewed it, and I know it's 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 got some flaws. I mean, tonally, it's just relentlessly bleak and quite hard going because of that. Um, but it's also like a brilliant, brilliant survival horror game. Like it genuinely like pushes you, I think, and puts you in quite a bad, uncomfortable place and triggers a lot of the feelings around survival horror that I probably hadn't had, you know, since playing like you know, the original Resident Evil 1, you know, it, it, you know, as great as Resi 4 is, I still think it's maybe leans slightly more towards action than survival. But I thought this was actually quite um, uncompromising. I went, no, you know what? I'm going to, like, really starve you of, of 
of uh, ammo. I'm going to give you like too much to deal with. You're actually going to have to be quite clever. Even on normal modes, you're going to have to be quite clever with your ammo. I'm going to give you some horrendous boss fights that are going to just absolutely destroy you. And when you find a save room in this game, it is just it is one of the biggest kind of sort of size of relief in video games. Like the the genius touch of this is the save rooms are always signified by you can hear. Uh, Debussy's Claire de Lune playing and when you hear that tune you are like oh thank god like I can save and this won't have been for nothing like I, I, I genuinely I was so happy when I got through each bit of this game and it was such hard work but I felt like it kind of I don't know stressed me out and p- pushed me into a place that most games I don't think have um, the confidence kind of pushing you because it does verge on like being quite unpleasant. You know, it's, you know, I think of things like The Last of Us, for example, which allegedly are also meant to tap into like the desperation of survival. But, you know, come the end of the game, I've just got like 8,000 Molotov cocktails or whatever. And that would never happen in The Evil Within. I think Shinji Mikami just really tightened, tightened the bolts on this one. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was, I, yeah, I thought it was great. I didn't like it, Matthew. That's um, fair enough. I know lots of people didn't. <laughs> so I I definitely think like the bones of like good survival horror in there for sure. Um I did think there was one boss fight that I did in this that um I stopped playing after after that boss fight cuz I just hated it and that was where that um girl with black hair chases you around that quite tight little space and you have to set her on fire. Um yeah. that's fairly early on in the game I think. And I wasn't really clicking with it even though I kind of acknowledge that the style of it was very nice. And I think that piece of music, um, the way it's used in this game generally, is extremely effective um, mm. and um, has a good vibe about it. The story feels very incomplete in this. Um, oh, it, it's it's absolute bullshit. It makes no sense. <laughs> yeah, I think that's kind of a shame because I don't think Resident Evil's got like a good story in, in terms of like, you know, what <laughs> what is actually considered a good story in most media, but it's got an entertaining story. Um, yeah, and um, and some and some characters I kind of like, even if they're all a bit daft. But this didn't. This just felt a bit stiff, um, a bit flat. Yeah. Um, that, that's yeah. like, like I said. It, it's it's a heart, not a head score. Um, mm. I, I, I I fully take all that on. I had some great DLC as well. Did some really fun things. There was the campaign where you played as um, as. Um, the kind of, sort of lady detective and it was almost a bit more sort of stealthy because she was even weaker than the chap and then there was another campaign where you played as the guy with a box for a head old safe head in first person smashing people up with a hammer um really unusual mix of dlc we had a regular box out in the news section of official xbox which was what was inside Boxhead's head. Because there's a guy in it who's got a safe for a head, and every month it was just a picture of his head being opened, and inside it was like, you know, a bottle of Tizer or something stupid. Um, so uh, That's a know. proper, like, um, Colonel Kurtz editor choice, that is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the most Matthew Castle thing I've ever heard. Oh. Uh, well, it was, like, meant to be, like, Pyramid. I think he was meant to be iconic, like Pyramid Head and Silent right. Hill. But it was just a bloke with a safe for a head who just dropped barbed wire everywhere. And he was just more of a pain in the ass than, like, a, a true horror icon. 
I you know, even... you just felt like saying, pick up your barbed wire, which wasn't something you'd ever say to Pyramid Head. <laughs> um, no, I mean, maybe in some of the later Silent Hill games that weren't very good, I don't know. But um, yeah, do you, um, the first person DLC in this, I do remember hearing about and thinking, well, that's kind of cool. But um, the second Evil Within, I feel like people just entirely ignored, just didn't feel like it made an impact. Did you play that one? Yeah, I did. It's it's actually way more coherent, and it does some interesting stuff in that it's almost like a bit more open world. It's got a couple of like quite large hub areas where you've got a lot more freedom to like find stuff, and the way that you can stumble into some quite good optional side quests, considering that they're quite crafted and got some good horror beats, is actually really nicely done. But mm. generally, I found the game like a little kind of softer than the first one. You know, it, it felt like a you know, the first one was a bit much, so let's tone it down a little bit. But I kind of, I, I don't know. I like that they, I just think they really bought into that first one in a way that I kind of admired, even though it was hard work and a lot of people hate it. <laughs> yeah, it was quite pure-blooded, I think. Um, cool. All right, so Matthew, my number 22 is Assassin's Creed Origins. Um, oh, do you have any Assassin's Creed games on your list? I don't. I undenied about putting Black Flag on as a kind of crossover right at the start of the gen, but then decided mm. not to. Yeah, so I'm a bit up and down with Assassin's Creed generally. Um, I think that I accept that probably Valhalla is uh, probably a slightly better game than Origins, um, but I've just not played it yet. But this is the one of the generation I enjoyed the most. Uh, Odyssey was just a bit too long for me, I think. Um, I was quite threatened by how long it was when I looked at the map. I was like, oh... <laughs> Jesus Christ, I'll never finish this. Whereas Origins, I think I finished and did a bunch of side stuff in about 18 hours. And I'm, yeah. even though the game is massive, it's a big old Skyrim-sized world, maybe even bigger. I'd been in every single pyramid. I'd seen the main story to its conclusion. I went to try and fight some of those gods in the desert, which is quite quite trippy in that game. Um, mm. But I really like this one. I think that the way the story pans out in this is really good because you play this sort of husband and wife uh, duo of characters. And... I find it really interesting that every time they beat up in this game, they have sex, uh, which um, <laughs> is I like because you never really see couples depicted in this way in games. Um, they enjoy each other's company. They've got like you know some tragedy they're sort of dealing with, but they're just in love, and it's just quite nice. And yeah, oh. I um, Bayek, your main character, I just thought he was uh, kind of a cool dude. And the um, version of um, you know ancient Egypt you see in this game is so like fanciful and beautiful it really does look like you're in a kind of fantasy world just from the sort of amount of color that ubisoft have put in there there's like um there are entire regions of this game that you barely step in in the main campaign that are just full of stuff to do and yeah this was a their big reinvention of assassin's creed after um i, I think that it was ran out of steam a bit after unity and um mm. syndicate uh syndicate the beginning of the now uh infamous failed matt castle run at finishing all the assassin's creed games um, <laughs> Which, uh, you know, devoted listeners of the podcast will remember. Did you play this one, Matthew? Um, yes, I played, yeah, I played Origins. Uh, yeah, like you say, it's kind of, oh, Christ, I'll never do this. And then the end suddenly creeps up on you and you're like, oh, all right, fair enough. Um, yeah, I, I like this one. I never quite clicked with the action system in it. And I think some of the RPG elements are a bit weak. It's, it's got that fundamental flaw, which so many Assassin's Creed have, in that it gives you an item, which is basically the instant win like insanity dart or something which you hit someone with and it drives them mad so they either attack their mates and then it kills and so their mates kill them or if it gets to the end of the timer they just die from like insanity poison or whatever um (laughs) and this had one of those so for a lot of this game it was just me hiding in bushes 
identifying high-value targets, hitting them with an insanity dart, and then letting the dart do all the work. Um, so I didn't really feel like an amazing assassin. I just felt like a guy who was very lucky to happen upon a blowpipe. <laughs> yeah, I think this is a problem with the series generally. They brought in this sort of gated, uh, level-gated combat system in this, which I think is pretty flawed. It means that like no matter how good you are at the combat, you, there are some enemies you just can't beat. And I mm. sort of I sort of hate that as an idea in combat games. Um, I think you sort of there are always compromises you accept with Assassin's Creed. The platforming's never really that good. Um, the combat is always sort of flawed. The side quests are just like full of total rubbish that you don't really need to do. Um, to, alongside some extremely good um, high end content, it's quite hard to tell them apart sometimes. Mm. But um, yeah, this is just a really strong sort of um, main campaign. I, I was surprised by how much I liked it and. Um, yeah, I, I'm sort of glad they did at least take a punt on giving Assassin's Creed a proper sort of um, a rewrite uh, this generation um, a couple yeah. of times, it seems like. but uh, I, I hope they reinvent it for the next one. I feel like Origins, Odyssey and Valhalla are kind of their open world trilogy arc and they should move on and think of something else. I, I want them to really like nail it and do like historical Hitman really go heavy into the stealth they won't but i'd love if i feel like i've i've done enough of their open world assassin's creed now um yeah but yes yeah, this is a yeah I, I like i i enjoyed this whole trilogy this generation they were they were pretty rock solid and this 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 was a this was definitely a, a fun one mm, for sure so what's your t- number 21 matthew i'm afraid it's the incredibly wanky the witness that's um, an interesting choice for sure which people seem to roll their eyes at now whenever it's mentioned. Um, at the time, like I think you just have to divorce it from some of the chat around it. People have uh, different stances on on Jonathan Blow and you know his sort of opinions about games and whatnot, and telling people how it should be done. But the core of this, you know, a colourful island covered with puzzle panels that you have to sort of deduce the logic of the rules of of each panel set from sort of tinkering with them um is really lovely really nicely done and i think the kind of the wider puzzle game which still to this day feels like a bit of a spoiler so i'll keep it light but like you have these panels which are the obvious puzzles but the island itself is home to equally as many puzzles which amazingly you might not sort of realize until quite late in the day and it becomes this whole other thing and it as a landscape where it felt like every inch of that place was just integral to what he was trying to do and it also just looked really nice and colorful quite a chilled island i'd quite like to live on it um yeah i really really like this game it, it made me feel quite smart playing it it had some sort of pretentious extremely wanky bits and bobs in there which i didn't really click with um I was kind of umming and ahhing between this and the Talos Principle, which is more of a PC game, which is which is why I didn't make the cut. But I, I like I like puzzle games which are unafraid to actually have some really really nightmarishly difficult brain fodder in there. I think the temptation with a lot of puzzle games is to have a very like gentle difficulty arc so that just through the game everyone gets there. And I actually I quite like it when they go, you know what, I'm going to put a couple of really nasty things in here and you're really gonna have to push yourself to get this and this had a lot of that it it was sort of uh quite kind of chewy and uncompromising um yeah i liked it i liked it a lot yeah i only played a few hours of this but i sort of got the sense there was a kind of wider 
island-wide sort of meta puzzle of like yeah when i got to a point in the map i feel like i'd look down and see a giant puzzle being put together like i feel like that's what it was kind of hinting at but i never really got there um yeah uh, yes sort sort of um mm. but i just when it did click and the whole thing was just suddenly like oh i get it this is this is what it's trying to do um was quite a was quite a magic moment and it's a huge game as well i must have played it for like tens and tens of hours so never fully finished it because you know it's just too thick um but i i liked i liked enough of it yeah i felt a bit too a bit too stupid for it um <laughs> but uh yeah i am um, certainly a true original there's nothing else like that this generation yeah. solve lots of mazes what was it what is it you doing in the game again yeah, what's the fundamental like tracing lines on panels Mm, yeah and trying to make them activate other panels yeah <laughs> mm, interesting stuff yeah i am um, no, a, a good choice for sure and like um you know definitely synonymous as this generation it was there at the first ps4 games reveal in um 2013 so uh mm. yeah good one matthew um thank you what's your 21 it's inside which um oh, that's higher ah, on my good. list yeah it's uh yeah we'll come back to it then um so what's your number 20 matthew uh oh this is probably gonna be high up on your list this is Danganronpa 3, <laughs> Killing Harmony. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, damn, you it's rumbled your number by one, number right? one. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, well, damn. You um, can't get enough of anime school kids murdering each other I in have, very um, skimpy uniforms. <laughs> I have all three of these games on Steam, and at some point I will play them, because I know they're kind of like adjacent to the likes of Phoenix Wright right or like yeah yeah it's it's basically a riff on phoenix right it's got a trial system except in each scenario you've got a load of kids who are locked in a mysterious school and the only way you can escape the school is by murdering a fellow student and then being found innocent of it in the subsequent trial and in the trial you you know you play one of the school kids and you sort of take on the kind of phoenix wright-esque role where you're basically trying to uncover the truth it's like phoenix wright with like this mad arcade energy to it because you know instead of um just selecting the clues you fire clue bullets like you literally shoot them at the testimony on the screen and there's always like not brilliant mini games where you're like surfing the logic highway and things like that <laughs> and they're like sort of riffs on old 80s arcade games and it's that stuff's a bit naff but the actual um the, like the logic the revelations of the trials the finding the contradictions is great the actual mysteries in this are so good i mean i'm a big big fan of japanese crime fiction as anyone who follows me on twitter will know it's what i bollock on about most days um and the creators of this are also big fans of japanese crime fiction they're a japanese studio um this is created by someone called kazutaka kadaka um and uh, i interviewed him once and we had a good old natter about japanese crime fiction which was a delight um and he's a big fan of a lot of stuff i'm a fan of like impossible locked room mysteries I actually think his mysteries are better than Ace Attorney's because, like, I go into the trial and I very rarely know what's going on and you, you really do have to unpick it, where in Ace Attorney it's often a bit gentler and you've got the kind of shape of the thing before it starts. Um, it's bogged down with, like, a huge amount of anime bullshit that I hate. I mean, there's, like, the last hours of these games are always bad because they basically turn into, like... T- 20-minute monologues where some terrible anime demon screeches at you about justice and you're like oh god i haven't really got time for this um but when you're just solving crimes this is this is good shit um this probably isn't the best of the three but it was 
the only one that came out on PS4. So it's a game of the generation. I really, really like the series. Get all of them on PC. They're they're kind of rad. Yeah, they're pretty much um, always discounted in um, every few months or so. So uh, yeah, I am. Um, they're really long games, right, Matthew? They take oh, a while to yeah. They're, yeah, like 20, 30 hours. I mean, the Phoenix Wrights can be quite long as well. I mean, hmm. But it is because they, they could just do with an edit. The characters are really... Um, it's just like that anime trope of everyone over-explains everything endlessly and repeats themselves, and everyone has their big monologue where they cackle about something and talk about it. But it... it what what really redeems it is the kind of hook is that everyone in this school is the best at something. So it's like, you know, the world's greatest boxer. But they're called the ultimate. It's like the ultimate boxer and someone else will be like the ultimate stamp collector, the ultimate hacker, the ultimate anime artist. And somehow their skills always factor into the crimes. And this third one had like a really nice setup because one of the characters is the ultimate detective and i think someone else is maybe like an ultimate the ultimate serial killer and um as a setup the, that there's all these like kids with like sort of semi supernatural abilities lets them do some like really mad stuff with the actual crime construction hmm. um and kind of unpicking all that is really really good Okay, good stuff. I will play them at some point. When I've finished all the Phoenix Wright games, I will... Um... Yeah, finish those first. They're, they're, they're way better and more coherent. Mm, um, no, that's cool. What is your 20? Uh, Deus Ex Mankind Divided. Is that on your list? Oh, this didn't make my list. Yeah, so I was a big fan of Deus Ex Human Revolution, and this was a slightly incomplete-feeling sequel. Um, I think the, uh, the rumoured plan was that they were going to do two sequels fairly close together that would like round out this Adam Jensen trilogy. But Mm. the problem with doing that is if your second, uh, if the second game isn't successful enough, you don't get to make a third. And that seemed to be what happened here. So um, it kind of just ends this game. Um, But I did still play it for 50 hours. And I feel like it's had renewed appreciation after Cyberpunk 2077. Um, Yeah. My personal feeling on it is it's, um, it's a pretty good, stealth action kind of immersive sim game like um unlike some another game further up my list it's quite easy to figure out how enemies work in this and the logic of how you hide bodies and stealth kill and all that stuff works very well um it's much more straightforward the levels are generally laid out so like kind of these uh, modular sort of rooms and you take out the um the level ro- uh, room by room um mm. set in prague uh this very it's not massive pro- the prague kind of open world but it is beautiful. It has these very distinct regions. There's a kind of red light districty area that is um, a beautiful place to explore. There are all these kind of like panels, um, uh, like when you're going through walkways with screens on them, and you see a screen with like a plane flying overhead and um, stuff like that. Mm. And it just has a a really nice um, feeling of the world. It, it, it's sort of um, the side quests in it are really rich. Um, you can break into a lot of people's houses and rifle through their things, which I think um, you know most people who play stealth games enjoy doing that sort of stuff. <laughs> and in yeah. real life. <laughs> yeah um there was some like um heavy-handed uh sort of like uh, racism metaphors in this but i think it's still there's still some merit to some of the things they do in the game um, i think that's one of the bullet points on the back of the box <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly in those words as well yeah. and uh yeah it was it was good i i think yeah. uh just sort of not really didn't really get the, that much attention i think they just waited too no. long to release it um but like good sequel craft a nice shiny upgrade for a next gen as well Mm. um like i find the original i find the 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 first one human revolution 
yeah. is just a, a little, looks a little, it feels quite old now. I think Mankind Divided is still kind of okay. Yeah, I think uh, I played it straight before I played this one. And yeah, it definitely dated faster than I thought it would, um, the first one. Mm. Um, I, I, I sort of, I slightly preferred the variety of settings in the first one, even though you probably get about as much real estate to explore here. But mm. um, yeah, good. Good, good solid um, game. I, I feel like it's just, it wasn't quite blockbustery enough to capture people's imagination. Um, mm. if, it, if you could just drive cars around Prague and it looked like Cyberpunk, people probably would have bought it. But oh well. Uh, yeah. So what's your number 19, Matthew? Uh, it's Metro Exodus. Mm, yep, not on my list. So uh, yeah, talk um, away. Well, actually, kind of, I guess, in a sort of similar-ish way to Deus Ex, I just thought this was a, a very good attempt to take a, you know, a rock-solid game of the last generation and just work out how to use some sort of extra power this generation. Um, in this case, what they did was they basically added some open-world hubs to the game so this is a, you know the metro series is famously very linear and it's set in underground tunnels it's literally a, you're walking down a massive tunnel and you'd occasionally go above ground but they were very scripted linear sequences this the game has linear sequences but the meat of it is a, is a couple of very large hubs where you have kind of freedom to explore there's some side quest stuff but what i really liked about this and what i thought was quite an interesting sort of side trend of this generation was games that kind of mixed open world like limited open worlds with very handcrafted linear storytelling so metro still delivered all the story beats it wanted to deliver and they were very very kind of well choreographed and controlled in the way that the original metros were but then Outside of those, you had a bit of freedom to go off and find like a rare gun part or something special or happen upon one of those story beats more organically. So it just felt a bit more exciting. Um, like, there's a bit of this thinking, I think, in like weirdly, like Metal Gear Solid 5, it kind of reminds me of, which is another like open world that isn't quite an open world. It's, it's home to like linear missions and occasionally the story would interrupt in a way that it's quite hard to do in open world games, but it, you, you feel it more clearly in Metro Exodus. Uh, I thought it was very elegantly done. I thought it ticked all the things I liked about the original Metro games, but had this extra flavour of of freedom in in a few key places uh yeah it looked absolutely amazing as well i, I really really rate uh metro series 4e games who make them i think are great and this was um yeah really a highlight yeah i think this got um overshadowed a bit by how badly they did the epic deal stuff um that became yeah. that was such a huge story at the time and now i feel like it's no big deal really when it happens but um yeah yeah um i um I played this. I played a chunk of this at that preview event that you were at too, right? Yes, um, yeah. In that like basement under that bridge in London, um. <laughs> a very dark preview event, which means I will definitely step on a PR's foot at some point, and they'll hate me forever. <laughs> yeah. Um, I so I I understand that you have like four different seasons. Is it kind of broken down into these like four different sort of semi-open worlds? Is that how it ends up panning out? Y- yeah. There's like two which are massive, and then there's like a third which is the autumn one, which is a little bit. Um, smaller and a bit more linear in places and then it doesn't really have the fourth open world hub the the, the, the last stretch of the game is quite traditional metro actually mm. well the one we played was legit i really enjoyed it i um mm. yeah I, I agree with you like um the sort of the some of the creature animation was really good in this and uh yeah i liked um i like the act of exploring like you said you might you might get nothing for exploring in this game or you might get something um 
Yeah, yeah. and it just... I don't know. I just like games that have the confidence to go like, we know that you're going to find something that's very scripted and polished and good. So we'll let you have a little thrill of discovering it. And you're and it just I don't know, it plants in your mind the thought that, wow, you know, there could be more stuff like this out there, which is quite exciting. You play this game in quite an excited state because your expectations are so high for what you're going to find. And I, I feel like a few games did that this generation, a few that are like later on my list as well. Um, and it's, I actually prefer it to just outright open world games. Like I much prefer, a, you know, you're going to have all the benefits of an open world, like the exploration, the surprises, but the games, you're going to see like everything the game has to offer in 30 hours. That's a very nice proposition for me. Yeah. I think I've, um, come around to that too, actually. Um, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, sort of a very, very much a kind of lesson of being in my thirties, I think of like understanding that a big game having that takes loads of hours to finish everything does not equal value um mm. value is a very different thing and yeah this kind of game gets more out of it it's it's weird actually like 4a feels like one of those developers that under the right circumstances will one day make a proper sort of 10 out of 10 all-timer um i wonder if it'll ever quite happen for them it's hard to tell you know yeah because um, they're like they're one of the few studios who are actually kind of still making like half-life games like that is kind of what metros are they're very cinematic scripted shooters but with a bit of freedom in them which is kind of half-life's deal and a kind of it's a shame that no one else was doing that this generation that feels like a dying art but they're still doing it and you know more power to them i hope they carry on making metro games yeah absolutely um yeah Uh, credit where it's due for sure so matthew my number 19 is the last guardian on ps4 this uh, isn't on my list. I didn't think it would. Um, is this a game that annoyed you? I feel like it probably annoyed you. Yeah, I I thought the creature was ugly. I didn't like its energy, its vibe, <laughs> or its attitude. <laughs> um, Frankly, I thought he was a dick. Um, I, yeah, I just thought he was quite an unpleasant person thing to spend time with, and I, I, yeah, I just didn't dig it. Catherine played it, I watched her play it, and thought, nah, this isn't for me. Sorry, I know that's like the wrong answer in certain critic circles, but... I just, I just hate that beast. <laughs> Obviously, it was like long gestating as a PS3 game, and then eventually moved to PS4. I think Sony kind of saw like a reputational win in bringing that game back after years nothing happening, um, yeah. and they took it. I think that it's got several hours in between that are not very good or not very interesting. But um, I personally really like the uh, the creature and how it was animated. I thought it was an amazing looking uh, thing. I think you really felt the weight and the size of it. Um, being around it um mm. doing these kind of platforming puzzles we'd see it jump and then a platform would tilt up and you'd sort of hop across and stuff like that you're basically climbing like one big sort of tower or series of towers the entire game mm. and then yeah i think the first hour is is phenomenal and the last hour is is amazing as well but um in between it's like it's quite languid um mm. but i still think it was just a just a real one-off and i missed um Missed having games that felt anything like Shadow of the Colossus this generation. Um, and I actually think this is quite a low low down position for a game from this developer. So, um, mm. yeah, I think... Um, I hope the next project that um, is being published by Epic, I believe, under their publishing label, and therefore they should have you know a ton of money to make it happen, um, could be really good. But... Um, yeah, I, uh, I hope it's I hope it's hunting the creature in the style of Monster Hunter World <laughs> with three of your mates, just three of you hitting that idiot with hammers. 
Okay, well, there you go. Matthew's got very strong feelings on this monster. Um, I thought, <laughs> I just thought the game was quite nice. And yeah, I think the... Um... No, I, I'm just being, I'm being silly. I don't, I don't, I don't wish the creature ill, you know, ill will. Me and the creature will resolve our disputes privately. Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, not loads more to say about it, but um, I think it's worth seeing the last hour of it. It's got kind of slightly, a slightly Studio Ghibli-ish vibe, I think, compared to the other two games. Um the, uh, that I mentioned earlier, so mm. yeah, I uh, I um I like it. I don't I don't adore it, and I think it could have been better. But it's one of the many eight out of ten sloshing around in this bottom half of my list, Matthew. So um, mm. yeah, why don't you hit me with your number eighteen? Well, this is where I've got inside. Ah, cool. Then uh, yeah, talk me through why inside got uh, to this position. Yeah, I just I don't think there's a, a, a second of flab on this game. Uh, you know, a brilliant little three hour experience, probably the most successfully cinematic game ever made in terms of sto- like visual storytelling i think so many people so many games when they try and lean into cinematic techniques are leaning into quite sort of superficial surface level you know dialogue virtual performances i think this leans into animated film you know it tells a wordless story beautifully animated tells you everything you need to know uh has probably the greatest game conclusion of all time um in terms of just sheer release and excitement and horror it's um i still remember playing it and you can only ever experience it for the first time once obviously but i remember playing it and being like holy shit i've never seen anything like that before um and if you haven't played it i mean don't look up the ending just go and play it because it is like an astonishing act of chaos which very few games have, have have tried to like match, and you know it still dazzles me now. Yeah, it's a singular game, as they say. Um, yeah, it's um, yeah, just one of the nastiest worlds um, to <laughs> explore. Just such a nasty game. Um, everything you're going to go through is that you know little boy character. Um, everything you sort of experience is just there are so many sinister figures chasing you in that game. Um, <laughs> And trying to catch you out, and uh, yeah, there are so many moments of it. I still, um, I still remember uh, really vividly. I am, um, you never see the faces of any of the characters in the game. It's all down to like animations on these tiny little figures who are, you know, in a side-scrolling platformer, basically. Um, mm. Yeah, mm. I, I thought about um, how there's this has kind of spawned like a mini genre of games like it. I think, um, or at least um, its predecessor did. Um, what's its predecessor? Mm. Uh, Limbo. Limbo. Yeah. And so, yeah, you've got like little nightmares as well, which taps into a similar thing, I think. But um, yeah, this was a kind of one in a million, like the the tone of it, very specific. And yeah, the ending, if you, if you had like a million years, you had to guess what the ending of this game was, I don't think you'd ever come up with it. Um, and the execution of it is like, how did they do that? I mean, it's truly like the greatest bit of video game animation ever. I mean, it's like amazing. Yeah. There's also a mermaid sequence in this game that is like one of the scariest sequences of the generation. Yeah, yeah. Just truly nasty. Um, yeah, brilliant. I would expect most people played it now because it's been free on Epic a couple of times. But um, mm. yeah, uh, definitely worth having on the list. So yeah. I'm pleased we both put it on there to retain our indie cred, allegedly. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> what so, is your 18? Uh, it's Apex Legends, Matthew. Oh, uh, um, not on my list, but I was expecting. I was expecting it higher on yours. Well. I sort of another one like Rocket League where I sort of fell out of love with it a little bit. Um, this is the third and I think final game from Respawn that's on my list. For me, I, I wasn't really into the whole Battle Royale craze this generation, but 
I love seeing a developer that I felt like was the kind of master of this genre come along and say, you know, we're going to put our stamp on it and it's going to be the best one. Um, and it was yeah. it was cool to see that happen and it be a free game. Um, and the, the way they launched it out of nowhere and it just became an overnight success. Very, very cool. And while I'm not really massively in love with it now, I think it's just because I burned out on it from playing it for like several hundred hours during uh, Lockdown 1. Remember that? Oh, nostalgic feels <laughs> about Lockdown 1. Um <laughs> Yeah, I I, saw, I like it a lot. It's um, like you though, Matthew. I'm not really a multiplayer um, kind of guy, so pretty much everything from here is single player for me. But um, right, yeah, the different character abilities in this, the movement, the way slides feel in this game, um, the way it feels to ride a rope across the map in this game, um, the way that the maps keep changing in in this is uh, controversial to me because sometimes I think they would reverse some excellent map changes. We discussed this in our game of the year episode where I complained about the train being removed. <laughs> And was deeply emotionally wounded by that act. Um, I was always quite jealous, though, in lockdown, because whenever you talked about this, you know, it sounded like where everyone was stuck in their house, you were stuck in your house, but you could also escape to a place called the party boat and a train. And these felt like they were very real places to you. The way you spoke about them, I was like, oh, man, he really has got like an an exit plan from all this. He can go (laughs) to the party boat, wherever that is. And it turned out just to be a a giant boat on a virtual map where you get murdered by teenagers pretty fast yeah basically but um but you'd have fun doing it that's the thing um (laughs) i just um yeah just my regular sort of like uh you know multiplayer pals we just had we had some really good times dropping on um on that map and it, it definitely there is definitely a correlation between like i'm stuck in a tiny space all the time but i can wander this big beautiful map with my friends sliding around and hanging out and stuff so um yeah, yeah, I've got some good memories associated with this one. And if you'd have asked me last year, this probably would have been in the top ten. But um, mm. I'm happy having it here, where it gets like a you know like a, a good solid mention, but isn't like the um, the main event. So uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, with your I'm no- intrigued what the main event could possibly be. Yeah, it's going to be uh, fascinating stuff. Absolutely. So, what's <laughs> your number seventeen, Matthew? My seventeen is the wonderful one hundred and one, uh, twenty thirteen Wii U game from Platinum Games. Um, Platinum had a weird generation, a good generation on Nintendo, and one which has been picked up and continued onto the Switch, but a sad generation of lots of wasted time, I feel, Mm. um, in that they were working on Scalebound famously for Xbox, and it didn't come through, and the idea of wasting Kamiya's time, to me, seems tragic, because that guy makes the best games and any years he's not made you know you only have so many games in you so it it saddens me that that was wasted but the wonderful 101 is a cameo game um probably his like most like outrageously inventive one in terms of control scheme like it's quite far from your your bayonetters and whatnot um in which you play as a swarm of miniature heroes uh who can basically connect together into giant weapons by uh, you sort of draw symbols on the Wii U pad or with the analog stick uh, to kind of build them into like a fist or a gun or a whip and those different weapons and the different combinations and different combos you can do with the weapons allow you to tackle these giant alien beasts it doesn't make a huge lot of sense to watch. It doesn't explain itself particularly well for those who put in the time and got their head around it. And anyone coming to it now, 
you do so with the benefit of some absolutely outstanding YouTube videos, which really explain it better than the game ever did. Um, this is really just uh, uh, so frantic and beautiful to behold when it's in action and the the sort of the Saturday morning superhero fantasy of all these hundred little dudes kind of banding up to fight these giant creatures stonkingly good boss fights in this game as well like conceptually absolutely brilliant i mean there's there's the very famous one where you you're basically playing this giant robot which you're controlling inside the robot by looking on the wii u screen to kind of pilot its fists in basically a giant game of punch out and then you sort of deliver a huge punch to this other boss's face and then you run all your heroes along its arm like into the other boss's body and do all this crazy stuff it's and it it's uh it has got like the greatest quick time event of all time at the end of the game which i'm not going to spoil and you should play the game and not spoil it for yourself but if you must go and watch it on youtube conceptually genius so much fun um so colorful so weird i'm so glad nintendo uh invested in this idea and let this very strange game happen um i feel bad that we never really did proper cover of it on O&M. Um, because it was amazing, uh, amazing thing. Yeah, so um, I have played this, and I must confess to not quite getting it. Um, maybe I just need to do a bit more research into the sort of mechanics of it. Do you think, Matthew, that people should play this on Wii U if they can, or should they play the newer version that's available on you modern platforms? Probably play the newer version, just because the, the Wii U had some um, like technical issues. Like it just couldn't keep up. There was so much going on, it couldn't really keep up with it. I don't know how it plays on Switch. I've I've played a fair chunk of it on PC when they remastered it, and you know it's not like the most sort of snazzy of remasters, but just seeing it all move smoothly is pretty nice. Um, yeah, I think it's worth going back to now and still playing. And and like I say, there there are YouTube videos that explain the basics of it because it's just quite confusing. And unless you know what you're doing, it can really just feel like you're not making any progress with anything. Um, but the second someone explains like three or four simple points, the whole thing clicks and you can just start rampaging through it and it is a laugh. Yeah, I did feel like I was just drawing a sword over and over again. Um, yeah, there is there is a fair amount of that. But um, hmm. yeah, trust trust me, it's, it's, it's good when it clicks. Yeah, it's quite interesting as well that Kamir seems pretty invested in this idea of like akami had it too where you know you are drawing something to make something happen in the game um yeah he seems quite into that uh yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's kind of it feels like there's a mix of his of of like themes there's that and there's also you know bayonetta had it in that there's like your you know bayonetta herself and then the giant like the wicked weaves like these giant weapons that she's sort of summoning to to fight in the combos you know he he's definitely interested in like a small thing and a big thing working together because that's what scalebound was going to be as well as a human with like an, an ai dragon companion and uh, you know this this was uh, a pretty a pretty neat example of of all that and you know it got finished and made and released which is you know a big plus point <laughs> yeah i um share your disappointment that um Kamiya didn't have the most prolific generation and like i would love to know why microsoft thought that recore was a game that was worth publishing but scalebound wasn't um yeah you know and that and uh, i'm sure i could pick out several other examples so <laughs> maybe they had the reasoning but i don't know uh seems yeah like you say it seems like a waste i kind of wish someone had picked it up um yeah but, um 
Hey ho! I'm sure. I'm sure. Maybe its ideas will surface in something else. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, that's, a, that's an interesting esoteric choice, and I believe it sold like no copies on Wii U. So I'm glad yeah. you can actually buy it now on modern platforms. Yeah. Um, what's uh, what's your 17? Final Fantasy 15, Matthew. Oh, there we go. Yeah. So Final Fantasy 15, the only mainline numbered installment that came out this generation. I think a similar thing. I know last generation had the MMO as well, so they technically had two then. Hmm. But Final Fantasy has been getting like. They have, the developers have been getting less and less prolific. I guess they're just harder to make because the scales of the game, scale of the games, are huge. Mm. Um, yeah, seven remake this generation two though, so you know stuff happened. But yeah, this is a bit of a heart not head choice, I would say. So Definitely. obviously, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like um, this is very much talked about as the kind of road trip Final Fantasy game. You're these four boys going around in a car, and uh, you are like uh, camping out and making uh, food and taking selfies and stuff like that. Those are the elements that the game is best remembered for while doing all your sort of traditional Final Fantasy monster killing and exploration. It definitely fit probably the most incomplete game on my list. Um, yeah. Like there's a second half where it feels like there is a missing open world, I would say. Um, yeah. The first half, I think, it's, is very... It's, yeah. I, I always thought of it as a reverse Final Fantasy thirteen, mm. in that, you start the first half is like the open world and then it literally becomes a corridor a story corridor for the second half and is really unsatisfying because it's actually just quite confusing like the villains aren't very well established a lot of people pop in and and this was a universe which is allegedly incredibly deep deep enough that they did all these extra movies and anime things and you're like well where was all that where was all that depth in the game like just none of it really manifested the the I thought the guy had the makings of a great villain, but he just was a bit of a uh, the the bloke in the hat, Arden or something. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, and then uh, I was quite excited, but like coming up to the release of the game, I was really like buying into the, like the world and the imagery of some of the characters. But then it just sort of like hits the accelerator for the second half and absolutely guns it, and all this business on a train and giant titans appearing it looks spectacular but you've really no idea what's going on for half of it yeah i would say like um it, the main story feels very detached from what happens moment to moment in that game um it's it's very much a game about that sort of road trip vibe but yeah the overall story yeah can't say i really truly knew what was going on all the time <laughs> in this game i thought it's an open world game there's something about the sort of specific way that like the kind of grass and trees and landscapes look that mm. just like the one of the prettiest games of the generation, such a a nice place to wander around, even though it's quite barren for the most part. Yeah. Uh, just really love being in that world. Um, Very good vibe. The vibe of being there with your friends, the fact that you camped, the mm. weird little kind of chilled music that would play when you camped or went to little like roadside shops. Yeah. It's just a, a nice place. Yeah, even though I don't think it was a, a great RPG either. The combat was very shallow. Mm. Um, very Kingdom Heartsy combat. Just press mash a button till the enemies are dead. Not particularly strategic. I think the developers got a little bit obsessed with trying to finish it after it was out. So had quite a yeah. lot of post-launch content and a load more post-launch content that was basically like just Square Enix was like, nah, you're not doing that, and then it was written <laughs> off. Um, and uh, yeah, so it, it ends a bit incomplete. I'm hoping Final Fantasy has a slightly better generation next time. Um, they're sort of going to go into it. They've already announced 16, obviously. But yeah, there's something about this game. I just thought it was second open world and better combat, better story. Would be up there with the best ones, I think. It was um, It was yeah. decent. Yeah. Like I said, it's a total heart choice. 
I know it's flawed, but yeah, I like those characters. I like the fact that it was memed so much, I think, reflects that it kind of made a good positive impact with a lot of people. You know, I think there's a lot of affection for, for those main characters, even if, 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 you know, a lot of the stuff around them is a bit off. Um, and there were moments of, like, incredible scale and wonder. I, I think the actual, the sort of summons when they come and you see them, like, towering above the map and then they basically, like, evaporate everything around you and everything's on fire. It's, 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 it's about as great looking as this generation got in places. Yeah. Music was really good as well. Similarly. Oh, great. What a battle theme. Oh, yeah. really good. What's your number 16? <laughs> my number 16? This is my last choice for today. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is Zero Escape, the nonary games. Mm-hmm. So a trilogy um, of games, right? Yeah, well, this this the duo of uh, Nine Hours, Nine Persons, Nine Doors, and Virtue's Last Reward. It's a bit of a cheat because they came out on like handhelds and things but this particular remastered remixed redone collection uh came out on ps4 in 2017 so i figured it counted um if you haven't played these games they are basically sort of saw like thrillers people stuck in a nightmare situation goaded by some weird puppet master to play a twisted game of murder and survival um they are half visual novel, half kind of adventure game as you kind of do locked room puzzles um, and to sort of further the story. But like a visual novel, the games are also very heavy on jumping back earlier in the story, replaying and making other choices. In fact, it's integral to completing the games, to play all the branches um, for science fiction reasons that I won't spoil, like it actually builds the visual novel structure into the the kind of the the heart of the story, which is brilliant. Um, if these were a book, I would really enjoy them as a sci-fi thriller. I really like the characters. I really like the stories. Great twists and turns. The trilogy builds in a really fun way. It's a shame this collection doesn't have the last one in as well, which is slightly maligned, but I I think it's almost as strong as the first two. Um, Very good, yeah, twisty-turny, lots of science chat. um, Introduces you to lots of, like, sort of of poppy versions of sort of complex scientific theories, but your head swirls with ideas, and those ideas kind of uh, impact how you think about other bits of the story. I really, really rate this series, and... um, you know, it's not cutting edge, doesn't sort of say much about the generation tech-wise, but I think it's great that things like this were being made still, and um, yeah, I really like these games. <laughs> ah, that's cool, it's an interesting choice, like Danganronpa, another one I've bought, but um, haven't played, but uh, yeah. yeah. So, very much like in line with my reading habits and interests. Is it also like a Spike Chunsoft game? Yeah, yes, yeah, both both of them are, yeah. Yeah, so you'll usually find it in the sort of similar um, kind of sales. Um, so uh, what? tell me more about what you're fundamentally doing in these games, like moment to moment. So the actual sort of storytelling is told in visual novel format. It's characters popping up, speaking, you know, quite static characters, kind of listening to your kind of captor say... You know, you've been kidnapped and put into this game and he explains the rules. And a lot of the game is about like dicking over other people, like voting to kind of kill them off 
and then the last one standing will allegedly get to escape. But the environments that they're in in these games also have um, kind of themed rooms that you go into, and the idea is you have to solve a puzzle there. So it's it's like those online kind of escape room games, if you've ever played those, where, you know, you get like an inventory for that one room, you pick up loads of objects, there's normally some sort of number puzzles, kind of like, yeah... Um, well, like, well, like escape rooms, you know, there's lots of props and you decipher from those props what the room's asking you to do and you sort of solve that. And that for me is what elevates it. And I find visual novels straight can be a little dry because it's just characters talking, it's just reading and they're often brilliantly done. But I here you've got these like little half hour kind of bursts of actual like puzzle solving, um, which kind of mixes it up. Um Often you you make decisions at key points and then you inevitably die because you made the wrong decisions. So you go back and start taking different branches. But for reasons I won't go into, information you learn going down one branch might help you survive in another. And so the story begins to like branch out and then begin to kind of close into really satisfying endings. And each one individually is brilliantly done, but the way they build as a trilogy and there's like a sort of domino rally of ideas across the trilogy is is very expertly done. So it's it's just a very satisfying thriller format. Um, yeah, basically. Mm, top stuff, Matthew. Um, yeah, that's a very you choice. And it is. <laughs> I, I feel like visual novels are a genre that like the PS Vita sort of kept alive and thriving. Um, just to, yeah, just to mention. I find it like again. I, I definitely prefer them on handhelds. Like I find it quite hard to. There's some which great ones on PC, but I feel I, like the idea of just sitting at my desk and clicking my mouse just to read through, you know, an often thirty-hour story. <laughs> like it, it's it's just quite a big ask. Yeah, you know, sitting on my sofa looking at a static image on my TV. I mean, yes, but just yeah. I'm. <laughs> I don't know if there's much of a visual novel scene on Switch actually. I, it feels like that would be perfect for it, but I don't know if they're a bit too racy or violent. But Yeah, um, I don't know if they've quite made it across. There's a few, like um, that AI, the Somnium Files one. But um, Yeah. Which is a bit... Well, the AI Somnium Files is by the same guy who made the Zero Escape trilogy. Hmm. Oh, well, there you go. That's a good starting point then for um, mm. on Switch. But yeah, otherwise, I don't think the wider catalogue's on there. So, Matthew, my number 16 and final game of the um, podcast this episode is What Remains of Edith Finch. So, oh, yeah, there another you one on your list. Um, yeah, yeah. So uh, this very much is um, represents the uh, walking simulator, as people call it, in the um, in my top thirty. In and this was a very like a very important genre to this generation that I feel like burned very brightly and then sort of went away in about mm. three or four years. And this one kind of perfected every idea. I'd seen in previous ones and, and laid in a bunch of stuff on top to tell its story of this um, strange family that had, um, you know, um, sort of been the victim of uh, bad luck over multiple generations. And um, you're a member of this family picking through this house, going through their rooms and finding out what the story of the different family members uh, was. Um, and walking simulators tend to be, you know, you kind of walk around and enjoy a space and story is told to you. Um, but this kind of has mini games that play out when you hear the various character stories. And uh, yeah, I thought this just perfected the genre. And it felt like 
after this. I think there were more games after this in this genre, but this was the one that just kind of summed it all up. What do you reckon? Yeah, I, yeah, I, I love this game. I, I, whenever I think of it, I always think of. I think it was Sam Barlow, the creator of her story, um, referred to it as narrative WarioWare, um, which I really like. In that each section of stories kind of takes a different mechanic that best illustrates it, and some of them are incredibly short. They're all very poignant. Some are very funny. Some are very sad. Um, this, yeah, I for me it was that inventiveness in how it delivered each bit of the story that kind of really caught my imagination like i've you know i've played plenty of quote-unquote walking simulators um but this one for me like the just the different means of storytelling within that i I thought really really elevated it and marked it out um i love the style of it i love the world of it i love the sense of the characters that you get you know the idea of knowing someone from their bedroom or how their room looks, I think is actually a really true observation. Um, yeah, I, I, just a, a really, really great game. Have they made another one yet? I don't think they have. Um, but um, you, you would expect that they would like, this was successful enough to generate a follow-up, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, it seemed like it got a lot of attention. But um, I also loved how the developer Giant Sparrow's previous game, The uh, Unfinished Swan, was it strongly suggested by the game is one of those stories that you played um like you go into this one of the rooms i think and there's like black or white drawings everywhere and it was clearly evoking that previous game suggesting that you you were playing another family member's story in this previous game that came out several years before i thought that was a really cool touch um but yeah yeah i love that game thought the house was uh beautifully designed um yeah really loved it so yeah i um Happy to have it so high on my list, Matthew. Uh, a good one. Um, yeah, it's great. Yeah, thought about Firewatch as well, but this kind of picked yeah, it for I, me. I like I liked Firewatch for the first like hour and a half, but I, I liked it less as the kind of mystery took grip of it. I think. So, Matthew, we'll take one more short break. Then we've got a very short final part where we're going to fire through a few um, a few questions that uh, okay. I've dropped into the dock here. Let's do it. Matthew, it's the final part of the podcast. Are you excited? Oh, phew. <laughs> yeah, you can go to bed after this. Um, yeah, I'm very happy for you. So I thought I'd just put a few bonus questions into um, this uh, these episodes just to kind of like add a bit of spice, I guess. So they're just like um, meant to represent other thoughts you've had about this generation that might not be captured by the uh, top 30 list itself. So Matthew, number one. What was a game this generation you were surprised you liked? Um, so I picked Gears 5 for this, mm. um, which is, yeah, I mean, I kind of, I like Gears of War fine on last gen, you know, uh, Gears of War 2 is a good laugh and 3 is spectacularly silly, but it wasn't something I, I really, really loved. Um, I think Gears 4 came out this gen, and I thought, eh, that's kind of more of the same, and this isn't for me. And then 5 just absolutely bowled me over. I thought it was great fun, just hugely inventive. I thought it was a team that was just like, fuck it, this isn't important, let's just have a laugh. And 
every firefight in that game has some kind of weird gimmick or visual trick to it or something interesting going on and it's genuinely one of the best looking games of the generation as well and it, it you know if you play it on the, the the now current gen on the series x you know it's even shinier but back on the last gen it was about as good looking a game as i played um yeah just i, I don't know, like i don't think when you think gears 5 you necessarily think of me um like it's not really my energy not really my vibe i don't think i could pick up one of their guns let alone survive in that world Um, yeah i mean they don't think of you in the sense that you're not the main character i suppose um yeah well you wouldn't be like who who do i know that like is like yeah fucking gears um like i'm not i'm not like a bro or anything so yeah i wouldn't necessarily you know you'd be like oh he's probably playing some point and click game from the 90s that's more what you'd think um he's playing a japanese visual novel right now about crime yeah if anything if i was anyone in gears i'd be that there's that dude who dies in every single one of them <laughs> like that fat there's that there's like a family and whenever the guy turns up he's like hey it's me it's it's you know jones or whatever and then gets a bullet straight between the eyes that would be me my death would be a joke in that universe um but oh. <laughs> this uh this this is really uh yeah just a, a big flashy dumb fun game kind of made me go oh yeah this this actually i do i do quite like what gears well, is is about yeah good stuff i appreciate you asking the question if i was a character in gears of war who would i be um yeah good <laughs> stuff uh, so i put rocket league for this because i never thought i'd get into a car football game this generation <laughs> um you know, yeah. it just—it doesn't seem me at all. I just don't really. I was very anti-multiplayer for mo- the mo- majority of this generation, and lockdown has forced my hand to getting more into it. Um, yeah. In order to socialise, but uh, yeah, that was uh, my answer for that one, Matthew. Um, what was your most disappointing game of the generation? Uh, it's a bit of a controversial one, Oof. and I still like it. I do like it. I love it, in fact. But I say Super Mario 3D World. Yeah, um, it's, fu- it's funny this, because whenever I ask you about this game, you're always a bit non-committal. Um, well, you really like it, and yeah. and you, I, I think it means a fair amount to you, because you've had a really nice co-op experience with it, and yeah. so it's quite, you've got very fond memories of this game, and I know, I know that, so I don't want to, like, shit on it every time you bring it up. <laughs> oh, I don't mind, you know, that's uh, what a friend's for, you know? Uh, <laughs> yeah, but it's like, I don't know, it would, like, bum the vibe out of the room. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. If someone's like, "Oh, we we really bonded over this," I'm like, "That's dog shit." <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't think it's dog shit. Um, this what a tough act to follow. Mario Galaxy One and Two, my favourite games of all time. Um, this is probably just me doing the thing, which I hate when I see other people doing it, which is just putting on blinkers because you want more of the same. But I, I don't think this was in the same league as Galaxy. Um, I think it's. I think it's got a real lack of escalation that Galaxy has. I think every idea has a really every level has a really great idea to it, but Galaxy would take that idea and just push it to one level further. I hate the fact that it ends with the flagpole. Uh, I think that's a real buzzkill of an end to every level. Because you think no matter how exciting this level gets, it's going to end with a fucking flagpole, um, mm. and that for me kills a lot of the entertainment. I don't really like the 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 sort of directional controls on it the kind of the co-op element didn't really do it for me i never properly played in co-op 
I should add. And I am excited about, hopefully, once COVID is over, playing in co-op um, with you and your partner because I know it's a big thing that you really love and I am sure that it will convince me otherwise. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's a bad game. I would still probably give it like a 9 out of 10, but it just is it is poor compared to Galaxy, in, in my opinion. Um and that made me quite sad because I, I was literally relying on this to deliver one of my favourite games of all time. I do every time they make a Mario game. I, that's now what I expect. Um, mm. But this one did not. Yeah, so we have an upcoming episode like planned around this game somewhat um, mm. with a bit of wider Mario chat. So I look forward to getting deeper into how you um, perceive this as part of the wider Mario canon and also what it meant at the time that this didn't quite live up to your expectations but um hmm. i i do like it for sure and um yeah i sort of um i think that the flagpole mechanic without getting too deep into it makes more sense when you play it in co-op and you realize that scrambling up that flag is like a co-op mechanic um mm. and, so, and it makes a lot more sense when you're sharing that level with people but um yeah i look forward to getting into that one more um <laughs> yeah so my most disappointing game of the generation, I had a few thoughts on this. Um, Fallout 4, I feel like I've addressed quite a lot, but um, that was one. But Mass Effect Andromeda was another where I felt like the shell of it was so perfectly like what Mass Effect needed. Like it looked really nice. Facial animation stuff aside, it looked really nice. The shooting was really, really good. Um, the planets were kind of cool. Um, all of it was like there. But the um, the just the story and the characters they managed to fall down so much on that I just I I could never quite get into it. Um, and there was I, a, literally a dude in that game whose character arc was he wanted to get a sofa. I mean, give me a break. That's like uh, that's some deep emotional development there, man. I mean, you just <laughs> you just don't understand him, you know. Um, yeah, I sort of I just don't I don't quite know what happened with Bioware this generation. You do have Inquisition, which is this really strong RPG. And then it just sort of, it just sort of, it's been off the boil for so many years, and um, mm. I'm I'm ex- I'm hopeful that they're going to get it back on track. But yeah, it does feel like they're one of those devs who just, yeah, they didn't really, they didn't quite win out this gen. Um, no. But yeah, Matthew, my final quick fire question: What's the best game you didn't finish this generation? Alien Isolation, mm. uh, yeah. which is just too scary. I am too scared of that game to play. I'll put my hand up, and I'm a huge fraud because it's like. You know, the, a lot of my peers love that game, and whenever anyone talks about it, I'm like, "Oh yeah, 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 Alien Isolation." <laughs> I feel like I've played enough of it to know that it's brilliant, um, but I also haven't seen the full scope of that game nowhere near because I'm just I'm just so shit at it and too stressed out to play it. And uh, yeah, I just don't know when I'll ever be in the mind to to play it properly and get through it. But God, I wish I could because what I've played of it's amazing. <laughs> I'm surprised you played this. Uh, so you didn't play this, but you did play The Evil Within. That's kind of weird. Um, oh, but that's something I don't. Yeah, maybe that doesn't make a huge amount of sense. But yeah, there is something about being pursued by that creature that's quite scary. Um, but who knows, Matthew? Maybe that will feature in my uh, top fifteen next Ooh, episode. Yeah. <laughs> so um, my one, um, I put Dragon Age Inquisition here because I I didn't play enough of it to justify putting it on the list. Um, and I, I do want to play it again someday. I'm de- I'm deliberating whether I just start it again because I don't think I've played it for five years. So it's going to be hard to remember what the hell was going on. Um, and like you say, it's quite self-contained. So I, I think I could just pick it up and enjoy it. 
Um, but yeah, I like that a lot. There's also another game I've not finished that's actually in my top 15. A fucking like monstrously long game that's taken me two years to play um, that I will talk about next episode too. But um, yeah. Ooh. Yeah, and so uh, we've got a reader question here too, Matthew. We're still getting those through. If you want to send one to us, you can tweet us at BackpagePod or email us at BackpageGames at gmail.com. Uh, one um, kind listener also DM'd me directly on Twitter, which was fine. I don't mind doing that. Um, but anyway, yes. Um, so, Matthew, first of all, congrats don't do that to me. <laughs> if you do that to Matthew, he'll kick off and report you. Um, <laughs> I'll report you for spam. Yeah. Um, so first of all, congrats on the podcast. Incredibly entertaining, and the chemistry between you two is great to listen to. There you go, oh, Matthew. Nice. We've, we've hidden our feud very well. Um, oh, brilliant! You're a hit man. That's what the question says. Um, because of the enthusiasm you two have for the Hitman games, I decided to go grab one and two in the PS4 sales. Well, um, we're glad to hear that. It's good taste. But yeah, one quick question: Are there any annoying trends in the gaming industry you wished would go away? We reckon, Matthew. Oh, I mean. The, <laughs> I think I've mentioned this before, but the um, the this new habit and no, it's that it's the Naughty Dog interactive cutscene <laughs> where the action stops and then you walk around a nice place and there are some jokes. Uh, Box batting. I, I really hate that. It just it just doesn't work for me at all. I find it incredibly smug, you know, where it's just like. Let the writers take a ride for a bit. And you're like, oh, okay. Um, you know, it'd be funny if in the middle of those jokes, one of the clickers came in and, like, bit your face off. That'd be a real <laughs> shocker. But it basically says, like, don't worry, for the next half an hour, we're just going we're, we're gonna to be in jokesville. Um, I don't really like that. <laughs> um, uh, in fact, I don't like games that end on, like, a quiet downbeat note. I want the end of the game to be the most exciting bit because I'm an idiot and a child. Um, I want you to... I, all games should end like Platinum games with you basically you have to fight God in space. <laughs> um, I don't want to go build up, build up, build up and then, you know, you know, an hour from the end, it's like, oh, now you're going to fill in like all your accountancy forms, which is what it feels like in some games because people are like, well, that's deep, isn't it, to end on a quiet note? And you're like, no, it's boring. Mm. I want to... I want to shoot Satan in the face. <laughs> uh, Is that yeah. too much to ask? Um, I do think the idea that like The Last of Us Part 2 would have been better if it ended with you fight Ellie fighting God in space <laughs> is a funny concept. Um, yeah, that would be amazing. Uh, it's funny, though, because I do remember your ox patting rant from the previous podcast about Uncharted 2. It's like, ever since then, they've been doubling down on ox patting. Um, and- <laughs> yeah, it's basically that. Um, the other thing is a b- big re- remast- nostalgic remasters of 6 out of 10 platforming games from the <laughs> late 90s. Like, just leave them be. Let them rot. Let them rot in history. You know, you know they exist as a warning to history. We're not meant to bring them back, you know. <laughs> yeah, so that's a no to a uh, Sly Cooper uh, remaster from Matt Castle. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, great stuff. That's uh, yeah. Some I knew you'd somehow make that about slagging off um, 3D platformers from the 90s, but here we are. <laughs> so I've got a couple. My first one is uh, MOBA-style character designs popping up in multiplayer shooters. Um, I think this reached its nadir with that fucking Overwatch hamster in a ball. Um, that was some <laughs> bullshit. Uh, but I hate seeing it where it's like, oh, it's a dancing shoe. 
and it's like <laughs> and it's Australian and it breathes fire and like just because you've you know you basically made a Homer Simpson car of a character it doesn't mean it's good <laughs> I don't know I just uh, I, th- I, I even in Apex has bothers me where it's like I think it's like the latest character is some sort of just really like explosive heavy Australian guy and I'm just like well, oh god also. Rory the dancing shoe is massively OP, so get rid of him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's uh, his alt is uh, off the charts, and it's ruining the it's ruining the meta. Um, yeah, I can't be doing with um, MOBA sort of character designs. Uh, I also think that open world games should be shorter, and I'm I'm sort of like I don't ever want to look at that lovely website. How long to beat? What a great website that is. You go on it, and it just like you look up how how threateningly long a game's going to be. If I ever see one that's above 50 hours for the main story, I'm just like, oh, I just can't play this. And it's the um, that's the reason I haven't played Red Dead Redemption 2 this generation, because I looked at how long that game was and I thought, I don't have time. Um, I need games to be shorter. So those are mine, Matthew. Yeah, Good picks. Absolutely. So that's the end of the podcast, Matthew. I've already explained where people can tweet us um, questions and thoughts on the podcast and follow us for when the new episodes uh, pop up. Back page pod. Um, but Matthew, um, where can we follow you on Twitter? Mr. Basil underscore Pesto. And mm. I do welcome DMs. I was only joking, especially yeah. when they're like, we love the pod. You're a legend. I'm like, yeah, great. Cheers. I yeah. Like yeah. Flattery will get you everywhere with Matthew. Oh, yeah, it really does. I um, love it. We really appreciate the good feedback, actually. And um, if uh, you're listening on Apple and you want to leave us a review, we'd appreciate it. We have lots of lovely reviews already from people. Um, really greatly appreciated. Helps with visibility. Yep. Helps with us beating Claire Balding's dog podcast, um, which is very <laughs> important to me. And, uh, yeah, um, we'll be back next week with the second half of this uh, top 30 reading. So thank you very much for listening and goodbye. Bye for now. Bye for now.